I think I stand by the fact that I was right that Diablo 4, that I, I had a prediction that, that Blizzard would fuck up Diablo 4. And I feel like I'm right. You feel uh, vindicated? I feel vindicated. Diablo 4, one of the best, and I, I cannot say this again, Kaysen, C-A-S-C-E-N-N, uh, has a uh, long video, uh, Diablo 4 is a caramel onion. And I have to mention that because... I, I don't think that there's any more apt of a metaphor than that. Diablo Four on the outside, like so. So this person who made this video, what are, what are their credentials? What do they play? Um, I don't know that much about them, but I. But then I, who cares? But, who cares about I their? Watched, I mean, watch the video. It's a good video. But I, but I think I've, that I've watched, I've watched the video. I mean, I, but I I do bring it up because I think that there's nothing more that encom that it, like encom encapsulates my thoughts on it than that. It's such a great metaphor because the initial the first blush of Diablo Four I think is so good, and I think our our, our opening thoughts of Diablo Four when we first talked about it on the first time we talked about it on a podcast was that it was great because the the way that the game looks is fantastic. They took it back to that Diablo 2 dark uh, style. Um, they, 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 they made a really bold and cool choice making it open world. So in a lot of cases, you're walking around and you're seeing other players and world events are happening. And I think it also remedies that problem that is like... Uh, uh, these games like Path of Exile and Diablo can almost feel pretty like insulated sometimes. Like if you're not playing with your friends, um, you're not seeing what other people are doing and it lacks that MMO style of, oh, you're seeing a cool character and doing something cool with their build. Like, oh, that's a, that's, that's a necromancer and I'm seeing them using all their abilities. They're so cool. I want to be playing a necromancer too, but right now I'm playing a rogue and they're watching me seeing how cool and unique I am. So it, it does a lot of cool things up front um uh and is very unique and good looking and i think we've also said that the D blizzard is still very good even the new blizzard the, the new and terrible blizzard is good at making their abilities feel pretty impactful and cool and visceral and like the, they look good on the screen and the enemies kind of react in a cool way so that first blush like diablo 4 reviewed pretty well and i think that that initial like first glance at it is like damn blizzard is back diablo kicks ass good job it's everything i wanted looks great fantastic but there was some initial things that i would have been a little worried about in that first podcast that is like hey why do the builds look so boring um you know like there's not that many abilities and you don't really get a lot of choices and a lot of the upgrades are really boring like you you get an ability and then you have to put it's not a it's not a skill tree as much as it is a skill line yeah it is like a direct line like you are picking kind of like like instead of it being a skill tree like you are generally for all intents and purposes picking which one of like four abilities is going to be on your one button which one of four abilities is going to be on your two button which one of your four abilities is going to be on three button and then more more problematic than that is that there's so little thought or in interesting things going on with this this skill line and the par the paragon system that comes near the end of the game that you really are just like looking down the line for like uh, okay i got a um legendary that synergizes with bleed spells i'm gonna look at all the abilities that have a bleed because they're red 
they're colored red. So I'm just looking down the line and I'm saying, yep, for my left click, I'm going to get this red option. And for my number one pick, I'm going to pick another thing that is red because that shows that it's in the bleed build. So all the, ble- the all the builds are like so cookie cutter, so like, you yeah, know. And there's a, there are massive caveats to that that make that a bit of a, I guess, simplization. Because there are Paragon board nodes and They're legendaries. Boring. And most of those that board, will be Paragon like, board nodes are, are, are stats. All right. Well, then I guess uh, we don't have to talk about it. No, I mean, keep, keep going. Uh, how far into legendary noting did you get on the Paragon boards? I, I just, I, I never got, I could never make it that far. Because uh, okay. yeah, for, for for me, the, the one of the big things versus Path of Exile and the other kind of games that are that are in this. What's the genre I'm trying to think of? ARPGs. ARPG. Um, uh, the the way that you the the grind to get to the end game of the game is like as I'm playing it, uh, there's not that many abilities, and as I'm playing the game, uh, I, I, you can respec, and then by like 20 hours with a class, I've probably respec to the three or four different types of like subgenres of that class. And then I feel like I've seen and used all the abilities, and now it starts to get pretty boring. And then it's just the same thing over and again. Yeah. So there'll be like, um, you know, there, there, like with the sorcerer, for example, there's a set of abilities that are kind of like companions, uh, where it's like you can summon a fire hydra, or you could summon like these ice spheres. Uh, and obviously, you could be like, oh, I'm just taking all the fire abilities, so I guess I'm taking the hydra. Uh, but then there are like legendaries that'll be like your companions have no cooldown or uh, when you use a companion ability, uh, other companion abilities deal uh, 50% more damage uh, to the same enemy. So then you're respecting your build to make it so like, all right, I'm going to take all of the companions. And while that is kind of like a, yes, this legendary does build itself you do get to choose other options with that of being like, okay, well, I also have this one legendary that specializes in ice damage that is turning, uh, you know, my lightning Nova into ice. So I'm going to build the, I'm going to base the build around ice and I'm going to change my skill order so that I'm summoning my fire companion first and then my lightning so that my ice one is getting the two X multiplier from these two abilities and then, because I'm ice spec, it's getting all this bonus damage as the payoff at the end, right? And that payoff is different depending on did you spec fire, did you spec ice, did you spec lightning? So that's just one example of you know a, a single legendary that might upend a build or create a new build, and that's not like the a unique legendary, which I do think like has their own values to it. I do think that the game has a sort of mid-game slump to it where at the start it does feel like oh there's all these options like i could choose uh you know from this ability oh you know i i just got down to the second set of skills and now like oh which of these do i choose right because also at the start of the game you're not necessarily being like oh i'm picking all the shadow abilities because at the start of the game you're not really getting a lot of things that are like, this is increasing your shadow damage specifically, right? So I feel like at the very beginning of the game, for the first 30 levels, you are kind of just like picking and choosing whatever you want because uh, the synergies don't start until mid-game. And it is around the mid-game where you do start specking into one damage type 
where I think it does start to fall off a bit. But I think that it kind of does pick up towards the end when you're going into the Paragon boards and you're picking up like legendary nodes on things that, that are meaningful. Like a lot of the Paragon board is the worst shit. Like a lot of it is like, oh, this node is plus 10 dexterity. So, and I should say the Paragon board, that is kind of like after you go down like the skill line or whatever, you get to end game, you get to a Paragon board, which is a set of passives, which are mostly things like this. If you go in this direction on the skill tree, you're getting life. If you go in this direction, you're getting int. If you go in this direction, you're getting dex. Uh, but then there are legendary nodes, which are collectible and modifiable in a couple of ways, uh, but they're giving you things that are directly interacting with your abilities um, that are changing the way that your your build like functions. And I think all of that stuff is... It, it's not to the level of other ARPGs, but it's not as simple as the mid-game slump would have you believe. And maybe it's also true for, for Sorcerer, where they've got some more cool options, where with Rogue, it does feel pretty... Like, I, I know that Rogue was, like, really bad in the start from, from from most of the community, saying that, like, the options aren't there and it's a really difficult class to pay because it just, like, is too frail and doesn't do a lot of damage. Um, but from everything I had seen and all the uniques and abilities I've gotten, like, it, I wasn't seeing that. I had never seen that at even, like, at level 50 or 60. Like, I was not getting... And and in the and in the beginning of like looking at Paragon and everything, I just I never saw anything for Rogue that I was like, oh, this could build things in a different way. And like you said, it, it's all very, it's all still pretty superficial. Of like, here, okay, you got a new unique, and if you want to use that, then here's the next, here's the new build, best build for that. Um, it just it 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 certainly doesn't have any of that like, uh, Path of Exile. I, I'm not going to screw around with the builds or make those builds, but they feel infinite and it feels very creative and it feels like there's anything is possible and that anyone can do anything and it be, or, or be anything that anything can be the basis of a build. And this game just feels so much more railroaded in it. And it feels so much more, it feels so much less creative when even this game is afraid of you making mistakes. Yeah. This game is like, it feels like worse compared to it's like younger sibling Diablo three, where up until the even up until the, that last part of the end game, you're still getting new abilities and crazy things and things that modify your like there were there used to remember like the the runes that would change like you you have a meteor but then you have like nine versions of meteor where it's the, here's the ice one and it and it freezes and stuns everyone and it does ice damage so maybe if you're an ice wizard or something and then here's the fire one and it's a bigger area and it does burning damage and maybe if you're if you've got some fire stuff to so like there were there were so many different things and there's so many different ways to to modify your build and modify the the, the abilities and like I think. Uh, uh, games like Last Epic do that very well. Of like, you're just constantly getting these game-changing augmentations to abilities. Um, and Path of Exile just having giving you complete freedom all the time. Diablo yeah. feels much more like you've seen it all. Like like 20 hours in, and and just saying like, okay, you've used you know, you've had Ice Pet before, but now have you had it where Ice Pet is good in the best part of your build? So now it's Ice Pet and this pet. But it doesn't really, like, change a lot of the ways you're going to play or think about things. Like, it's just very... Like, you've, you've played with every skill, and then by the end of the game, you've seen everything that that character or class can do. And then here's, like, 
minor permutations on that. Like instead of of it being here's your here the old way of it being all all the frost things in frost pet like you said they're just like well you've used frost pet and fire pet but how about you use frost pet and fire pet at the same time and be a pet person and it's like okay well you've seen all these abilities they're they're working the same way but here's like a build that uses them a little bit better or something yeah and i think that at the end of the day people will say that any arpg at the end of it distills down to you pressing a couple buttons and then moving on and people say that about Path of Exile too, right? Where once you're in endgame and your abilities are instantly clearing a full board, it doesn't really matter what those buttons are, right? Sort of. It takes a long time to it takes a ridiculously long time to get there and there is like more to do along the way. Um uh, but yes, that, the, the, there are elements of it that, but but uh, Path of Exile does struggle in in a way that I don't I don't think that Diablo necessarily does. I feel like Diablo Endgame. Um, uh, the, the characters look so different. The characters do so much different things, and like it, it's not quite Diablo Endgame. I don't know if it ever got to the point of Path of Exile where it, you're just pressing a button to, to screen clear, and then it is like, yeah, no. basically everyone does the same thing. Not as not as much are you doing that in Diablo, and I and I think that's probably to the benefit of Diablo. It is to the benefit of Diablo, but because of that, it's like Diablo three. You can just go back one game in the series and look at how unique and different the characters and abilities looked and how how differently the classes function and how many permutations be it you know optimal or not you could do and go with the build and then you'd still be like leveling up and finding oh here you have a different version of an ability that works in a different way and you can re completely retalent to like use that and then you just don't have that in this diablo i just feel like you're you find you just have a couple of abilities and you so, kind of see them all so, practically. Yeah. My question would be, do you think that the issues of this game go down to the core of it? Yeah, it, they really do. It's it's The, the issues so, begin and end with that skill tree thing, the the, the skill road. It's so boring. I if, if, if the only way I think that, the, that there could be like a complete overhaul and get everyone, including myself, on board with Diablo would be like n nothing less than doubling those abilities. Because another thing that's kind of boring about the abilities mm -hmm. is that you're, you put us like you, you talk about this a lot, too, where you, you put like a talent in to get an ability and then you can like rank it up five you times. You can put five for, like, points into five it. Five more damage. Like, who thing. cares? Like that's such an incremental nothing of an ability. I would almost rather. It makes the leveling up feel terrible when it's like, oh, I level up and I I now get more damage on I, this ability. I like, do Matt, now. Now my my uh, sweeping like dagger attack does uh, ten percent damage, and it used to do five percent damage. Like that's cool, but like it doesn't change anything. And uh, yeah, like I just feel like there's it, it, it is so core. It is so boring at the core of it. I could only imagine playing this game uh, it, it, as many seasons as there are class types because at least if you play a class type it's kind of fun for a little bit we, you don't you don't notice the problems until you've played like 20 hours with a class and you're approaching end game and you're like wait i've only been respecting to do the same like three or four abilities and now i've seen it all and now it's boring but it just it like i, I just it, i i know that uh uh, there's, there's th most of the community kind of hates this game for not only for the game, what the game is, but what the game re represents and blizzard and everything going on around it. And then the steam releases of the blizzard games were disastrous. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I, I know I've like every once in a while looked on to like Twitch to find like, you know, double digit viewership of 
Diablo, right? Like, like just no one watching or caring about this game, which I think says enough about the game. Is it? It, it is. It's still Blizzard. It's still like a ma- a, a massive mainstream AAA with a name on it that that a lot of casuals should want to buy or try out because I do know a lot of people who are aware of the Diablo franchise and like playing it, um, like beating it a couple yeah, months or twice. But next year we've got we've got Last Epic and uh, and Path of Exile too. Yeah, in some state is coming out next year, so uh, it's a good thing they released Diablo Four when they did, because uh, if they don't make drastic changes next year, no one is going to care about that expansion. No one. Yeah, it's it's a. I I honestly think Blizzard Blizzard is such a disaster. It is hilarious. It's a constant Schadenfreude to see them like just ruining their own franchises, and I just don't know how it feels like they had everything to make this game good, but that it, it like. It just classically was told to come out early or something where they were like, well, we, we have so many good elements of the game, but you need to, like, double the amount of abilities or something. Like, it, it, nothing will make this game good if the game just stays so generic and boring. But And then also, like, I think a lot of the other things about the game just feel heartless where the starting classes of the game are so nothing. I'm so fucking sick of some of these classes. Like, get the Barbarian out of this game. Get the Barbarian out. It's been in all the games. It's so boring. Get like get some of these classes out. Like Rogue, I hesitate to say it, but like Rose, Rogue is so fucking boring. Get it out. Like you, you, there, there. You see other games like Last Epic doing like Time Wizard, so, so Spell Lord, uh, you know, like crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah, I mean sub-genre. Path of Exile too. Every class is new. Did it, you know that? Yeah. It's like like there there's other classes that there's other games that are like doing new unique things. And then you have Diablo out here with their with like they couldn't even think of more cool abilities. There's only like you know twenty or so abilities for these different classes, and there's only Dude, like four or in, five. In classes. Path of Exile two, there's a gun class, and you can play the game like a top down shooter. That's so or cool. You move, or you move WASD. And you can top down shooter and swap out to different types of ammunition that uh, interact differently with all of the different uh, guns and weapons. See, this is so 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 like you you say that in that sentence alone to me is like, th- why would you want to play? Uh, like you, you just talked about the issue that the that these games that uh, ARPGs kind of run into, where at Endgame almost everything feels the same, and that there's very little class diversity because every because to be a good class you have to be like screen clearing waves of mobs, and if you're doing that, then like there's no difference between how you do it. If I have an ability that shoots an ice meteor and it kills everyone on the screen, and you have an ability that shoots out aero airy areas arrows arrows that kill everyone on the screen and they both function the same way then like what is the difference between either of those classes but then when you talk about those it's like you know you spent this one season playing a top-down shooter and then you could spend the next season doing something completely differently and it's like yeah they have nothing to do with each other they're just they're so differently and that to me is the next step of it and diablo is it's so safe if anything it just feels like the development of was like blizzard felt like they had to get a win, so they're like, we have to make Diablo 2 again, and we have to include, like, the rogue, the barbarian, the druid, the necromancer. Just, like, everything had to be so... They're not brave enough to make Diablo 2 again, right? It, what? They're not brave enough to make Diablo 2 again. I mean, they did make Diablo... Didn't they make Diablo 2 again? And then they fucked it up? People love that. People love Remastered, but what I mean is they're they're not brave enough to make a game that has the that variety needs to of Diablo be, 2. Yeah, they're not brave enough to make a game that needs to do the changes. They're, they're not brave and, enough and you know, to one make of the issues of, One of the issues of Diablo uh, 4 also 
is that it has PvP. And yeah. I think that the oh, game, so you have these that games need to like stop having PvP in ARPGs. It's stupid, and it makes it it just makes the 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 rest of the game boring when you have to consider that things are balanced around PvP. Yeah, it's just stupid. Tell Anyways, Voidigo. Voidigo. So Voidigo is it's gonna. Voidigo. This is on my list of um. Games I wish I played more of. And also, uh, so Voidigo is kind of like, uh, have you played a Nuclear Throne? No, I haven't. That's a roguelite where yeah, it's a shooting, played, ro- it's a top-down you, shooter roguelite, played, like, gun, uh, like gun, gunfire. I, no, 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 no. Enter gungeon. the gungeon. Enter the gungeon. 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 Uh, so this game is very much like a combination of... Uh, Enter the Gungeon and Nuclear Throne, and I think you'd love it. I it it is just another one of uh, Enter the Gungeon uh, with extremely unique weaponry, uh, different character classes that are like doing different stuff, uh, different like su- lean super super heavily into the synergies, and that's it. Like that's the game. Like it's not necessarily innovating. This isn't. This is a honing. It's not about innovating. It's about honing. Where they've really just gone into that. We heard you liked Enter the Gungeon. Well, there hasn't been any new Enter the Gungeon. Here's some more Enter the Gungeon. But I think that uh, Enter the Gungeon for the start of the run is a bit more dialed in. One of the things that Enter the Gungeon has, for example, is damage scaling uh, to make sure that you're never like killing a boss too hard. They kind of like like give you a maximum amount of damage per second that you could deal to bosses. And I don't think that this game is doing that. I think that this game actually just lets you go fuck wild. And- you mean like a boss like has like a, a phase where they're like, oh, you can't stop. You did 25% of my health bar. I'm going to do like a non-interruptible phase. Stuff like that, but they'll actually dial down the amount of damage that your weapons are doing so that you can never be dealing more than X percent of damage. Like, like you can't one-shot a boss in Enter the Gungeon, no matter how much shit you get. But I think Voidigo lets you get a little bit crazy. Um, so I think that uh, the, the game is actually incredible. Uh, I think that it is a perfect uh, Steam Deck game. And I think if you said... If you're like, I'm looking for something like Enter the Gungeon, but with kind of like a different aesthetic, take a look at Voidigo. It's kind of like Wendigo, but Voidigo. Uh, look at that. I, I think that this is a really slick game. Um, not a lot of that I, I say, wish I played more of. Yeah, I kind of want to check that out now that you say it. Uh, June 20th, not a lot I want to say about Rogue Legacy 2. Did you play this? It was in What early- did this come out on? Because Rogue Legacy 2, I think, was a uh, 2022 game. I want to say that maybe it, maybe at one point out or I I know I know it's been out for a while playable but I but I want to say at one maybe at one point out. Hmm. Let me see on Steam. I've got this uh, releasing one point on April twenty eighth, twenty twenty two. Believe it or not, uh, with the early access coming out in twenty twenty. All right. Um, I think. But Rogue Legacy 2, it was all right. Yeah, it's all right. Eh. Do you want to just go on to Dave the Diver? Sure. So Dave the Diver is the uh, companion game to Dredge. 
Uh, it's the other fishing game of the year, but this one, instead of just regular fishing, uh, you're diving. So some people have said Dave the Diver is a roguelite. Uh, it's really not a roguelite at all. Uh, it, I guess it has elements where uh, every day you're diving into this mysterious uh, region of the sea called the Blue Hole, which is an area that is constantly shifting around every day that you go into it. The layout of it is different, and you're going down there and you're catching fish uh, in order to uh, serve them up at a sushi restaurant where your character is both the diver and procurer of the fish and also a server at the restaurant. So you're not the chef or anything. The chef is a far cooler character than Dave is. I, I, one thing that I, I do dig about this game is the characters. I kind of like how the character that you play as doesn't have any main character energy. You're surrounded by other people who have main character en energy, but you're just kind of like this guy who gets things done. He's not like... Um, he's not flashy. He's not flashy. He just fucking gets it done. He dies. Uh, his name so, says it all. He does. He's a Dave. He dives. That's it. Yeah. So it's a game that has two kind of fun uh, systems go on. And, you know, one of the things that we said is uh, there was a, a game, uh, Cult of the Lamb, which also had like this, oh, you're doing this management element of managing this cult. And then you're going into the dungeon and doing this thing. But neither half is good. Yeah. Uh, so and it's, it's, it's really trying great. to be it's trying to be more than the sum of its parts. But like both, ne neither mechanic is actually well fleshed out or interesting. So you're kind of yeah. like doing one mechanic, and you're like, "Wow, it's this. This wasn't that good. I want to get to the other mechanic." And then you get to the other mechanic, and you're like, "This isn't that good." But I, I really hoped I get to the other mechanic. And Dave the Diver is the opposite, where you're actually excited to like go fishing and get all this stuff, and be like, "Oh, I got uh, all of this new bream, and because of that, I'm gonna like I got so much of it that I'm gonna be able to upgrade the the." Um, the level of my bream dish and now people are going to like it even more uh and then you know you're using the money that you get from the sushi restaurant to upgrade your equipment when you go diving where you're getting new weapons and adding modifications to weapons uh so you know you could take your rifle and uh upgrade it to a fire rifle and then you could use your fire rifle to kill uh this specific type of en enemy that gets easier as a result of that and then you could make this new dish and it's sort of this back and forth that's going on. But, and in the midst of that, there's also a story where like, you're trying to understand the secrets of this region, like the character and the writing of the game is pretty good. It's got like a pretty good aesthetic style to it. Um, and, and I think that it has a lot of hooks and it has a lot of soul, which I think is important. Uh, it, it just like is, is a, it's a world that like feels worth hanging out in uh, and there are likable characters and you kind of do want to see uh, where it's going. Like what is the deal with this area? Why is it constantly shifting and can the sushi chef be redeemed? You know, mm -hmm. he who be. was kicked out of, out of uh, his old job is, is his new restaurant. Can, can he be, uh, respected, but that's not you. You're the, you're Dave the Diver. That's not you. No, the the sushi chef is my favorite character in the game, and 
he seems like uh, he should be the main char- character of this game because the chef is so cool that it just makes you wish you were you were the chef. Maybe it's kind of like a um, second person story where it's a you're Dave the diver, but you're this but the protagonist is sushi chef, and that's the real story, and you're just kind of you're witnessing the events of someone Let else. Let me send you a, a photo of the chef. Hold on, and then you'll understand. The chef is on the right. So who do you want to be, you know? Yeah. He's dope. Exactly. Dave, Dave is... Is that Dave on the left? No, I don't know who that guy is. That's probably That's like the... the Hotline guy Miami guy, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, Dave the Diver, I recommend it. It's not like one of my favorite game of the year, but I think that it's a good deck game. It's a good game to play at the end of the day, where it's like, oh, I just want to chill for a bit. The Dave the, the Dave. Diver, is, it's like a pretty chill pretty chill game. Um. Okay, so July is a pretty weak month overall i went I, uh, well, well not exactly but um i just wanted to mention pikmin 4 because it got good me too it, i love pikmin um i have did you play pikmin 4 i wish i, I didn't I so this thinking is about it because people are some for some people i think it was like dan reichert's uh game of the year or yeah. like number two i think a lot of people of are really hot on this and i i i am a you know that i love this style of game i love pikmin games and I think Pikmin 4 is uh, unfortunate that I didn't play it this year. Very unfortunate, because I think and it I also been... thought that it's a game that, like, Alyssa would actually dig. Yeah. So I'd like to pick it up at some point. I, it just didn't happen. But maybe that's my uh, 2024-2023 game of the year. Absolutely. But, he, but here's a game that you did actually play this year. Uh, July 22nd, High on Life. Now, uh... Justin yeah, so Ro- there were some issues Justin with this Roiland. game specifically because it was like Justin Roiland's um, game. I think it was actually like his company or something like that, like Squanch Games or something like that, that kind of dissolved. But, uh, you know, the issues with Justin Roiland surfaced like just after this game came out. Yeah, Which crazy. is a shame because crazy. like this is like a mad, like a very competent game. It it's, kind of feels like a 360 era uh, first person shooter, if you know what I mean. Yeah, it came out as like it's weird because it's also a comedy game. It's a comedy shooter, right? Where where it works. It works. Where the too, different yeah. the different guns speak to you and have different personalities, and they're like talking to you while you're playing the game. Yeah, and one of them is Tim Robinson. Yeah. So they got some good I, voice work. The writing is good. Like it's, it, it is actually funny. Um, the story of the game is just that Earth is invaded by uh, an alien race. You are playing as a character who uh, finds a sentient gun, voiced by Justin Roiland, uh, who's able oh, I just to make defeat this clear. the enemies. This is the, the 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 Rick and Morty guy. The uh, Rick and Morty guy, Justin the, Roiland. The Rick and Morty. Guy. And and all of the all of the writing uh, feels like Rick and Morty writing. Yeah, he does. It, he does that. Everything he's done really has that one like. You just like level, it or level you level don't. Job. Yeah, you like it or you don't. I I ended up like hating, not really hating, but never being off put by Rick and Morty for a long time because of the Rick and Morty fan base. But eventually, I did like. I think this year I watched it and I do like it, and I think it is a good show, and it's funny, and it's yeah. well done. And I think I would say that about Justin Roiland overall, but certainly there is quite a stain on... So what was the deal? Like, he's sexual harassment, or what was it? Like, it was... Yeah, I think I, it I was maybe, like, worse than that. I, I was it, like, rape or something? Because like he's in jail, like, right? Um, 
something with like a, a type of domestic violence where like also somebody felt like trapped. I forget what that's called. Like not false imprisonment, but something like that. I don't, but also I don't want anyone to like take this as like news. Like I don't actually know. Yeah. So yeah. We're not the best. Do your own record. research. But, um, but yeah, I mean like he got into a, I mean the point is that the game came out. Um, it was a standardly good game game and, and and funny by all accounts or whatever people liked it yeah and people liked it and it, and it was a, a a a um a good uh uh game pass game that you could play and finish um but then like just like you said like i think it was shortly after it came out all the justin roiland stuff happened and it got such a stain on it and like the studio or whatever dissolved and like and then he's like a i, I feel like everything he's touched is like in flux now where uh, you don't know like the future of like Rick and Morty where there's still supposed to be more of Rick and Morty but now the person who voices Rick and Morty is not there who like you know is one of like the lead designers of like that the speed of that humor like he is like I guess that like driving force of that humor so it'd be like if like Seth MacFarlane got like involved in some like you know legal drama and was canceled or did something bad like Seth MacFarlane said something like horrendously racist or like uh you know like uh did some crazy republican shit and then just came out and was like you know ruined and then it kind of like retroactively kind of stains everything that he's done but um uh july 25th the day after my birthday remnant 2 came out and you didn't play it I played a, an, a little bit of it, but I was never the around. The tiniest, teeniest morsel. The tiniest, teeniest morsel of it. But I, but I mean, like, by the time I was playing it, I feel like you guys had already uh, uh, gone far and, like, I wasn't caught up to it and everything. I think they already released DLC for it. Yeah, they already did. With uh, a new class and everything. Uh, so this is a the follow-up to Remnant 1, which a lot of people... Called the Souls like wasn't really a Souls like this one also wouldn't really it's call a Destiny it a game like eh, kind of yeah it's it yeah. but but I know why people say it's Souls I mean like it's a, it's a little bit uh, more challenging of a game and there's bosses and the bosses are quite uh, like they're 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 pretty hard and they're tuned in such a way that you're probably gonna have to like fight them a, lot, a couple times to be able to beat them and like understand their mechanics. And there is a thing of you kill a boss and then you're getting some type of uh, weapon or armor or like amulet Trinket or something or out of it. Trinket or something like that. So yeah, one of the shticks of this game is that uh, the worlds are procedurally generated in a way that if you do a full playthrough, you won't see everything. Um, so that also means, and, and some of the bosses are like mixed and matched which means that you're not going to like see or have access to uh, every weapon by doing just like a playthrough of the game because you're going to be running into different bosses and seeing different puzzles uh, than other people, which is cool because there's also, in addition to the campaign, once you've done part of the campaign, uh, you unlock an adventure mode, uh, which lets you dive back in and replay certain parts of the game so that you could see the different variants of it and get the different unlocks. Uh, there's also classes in the game. Uh, you start out with a few of them, but then there's like secret classes that are hidden away by doing uh, different challenges in the game. And and that stuff is pretty cool. Uh, that said, 
and, and the aesthetics are cool. Uh, the, the game is competent in every way. I don't really feel like it's innovating. Again, like, you know, I, 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 I'm going to say this again. It's not innovating, it's honing. It's taking uh, what Remnant 1 did, and it's kind of just like dialing it up. I, I think that you, you could definitely see the change in budget between the first game and the second game, where you feel like this time around they just had more money to throw around. You feel like... Uh, with all of the environments, uh, things are different. Like one of the environments is just Bloodborne. Like they, they just made Yarnum in this game. Uh, one of it is like the sort of fairy tale environment. They have one of it that is uh, sort of like uh, Destiny, like where it's like these like vast, like dusty plains in space uh, with like these different like buildings around with like some space wizards and. There's also like a, an area that's like a uh, returnal where it's like, oh, now you're in like this sci-fi area that's full of like monoliths and these uh, hard brutalist stone structures. And you, you could definitely see how this game is trying to greatest hits you with its aesthetic. And it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Um, is that all, is that all you have to say on it? Yeah, it's like a it's you're going like to keep it. Keep it smooth. You know, yeah. keep it distinct. I mean, it is like we're it, it's we started this at like one and then it's five. Crazy bomb rush Cyberfunk. Did you play that? That's August eighteenth. No, but uh, you know I have decided to collect uh, Nate's uh, top three games of the year, uh, and those are in this order: Hi-Fi Rush, Bomb Rush Cyberfunk, and Cyberpunk. Wow, that feels very um... one note. No, it just it's just like very thematic, right? So I thought about this game. I loved no, uh, Jet Set this Radio. This is Jet Set Radio. Up. Yes. Yeah. I mm, could get down groovy. on this game. The the soundtrack, I've heard some of the soundtrack. If you haven't heard it, highly recommend checking out the Bomb Rush Cyberfunk soundtrack. Uh because I feel like hearing some of those tracks alone kind of sold me on uh trying out this game. And it's doing incredibly well on Steam. Uh 98% overwhelmingly positive. Uh, based on eight thousand two hundred reviews, wow. those are pretty good numbers. Yeah, people like it. There's a there's th- for whatever reason Reddit keeps trying to get like uh, uh, th- this this the bomb rush cyberpunk cyber funk um, uh, subreddit pops up all the time in my feed. I have no idea why. Um, nothing to s- not much to say about this, but Marvel Snap had its PC client and uh, like official kind of PC launch August twenty second, along with a huge media push. Yeah, it was. I, I I guess I more mention it because uh, prior to this, there was a Steam, uh, there was the Steam version of it, but it was just the like upscaled mobile one, and it would kind of functioned weirdly. And now the the the, the PC client bad, right? has completely different UI, and it's it's completely different, like P- made for PC UI. That also like cleans up a lot of stuff and looks very nice. Here's a game, August twenty fifth, hmm. Armored Core six. Fires, Fires of Rubicon. Of Rubicon. Ooh, that's a spicy game. I I did find it interesting that uh, you were not interested in this. Yeah, yeah, not interested. Not really interested in Max. This is from Software, developers of Dark Souls. Uh, well, actually, and, this is from Software, developers of Armored Core. Yes, but most people don't know that. But but that was, the, was that, these a, were the, these were the Armored Core people before they were the uh, the, the yes. Dark Souls, the Demon Souls. 
And I loved Armored Core growing up, and then, you know, they pivoted over to Dark Souls, and it, it was really exciting to see them, you know, go back to doing Armored Core. And it's very clear playing Armored Core that they learned a lot from Dark Souls. I think that this game is really, really great. I, I hope that this game, I, I mean, I've, I've seen all this game very high up on a lot of Game of the Year lists, so I know that it's getting uh, recognition. I, I feel like I, I don't know who's going to pick up this game and dislike it because I feel like if you're getting into this game, you kind of know what to expect, especially if you're coming from Dark Souls. And so this, because this game kind of is like a combination of what they've learned with Dark Souls, but with um, a lot of the classic uh, feelings and structures of Armored Core, which is this is a mission based game. Uh, where you're assembling your mech between missions, you're going to the store and buying mech parts, and then you're jumping into these missions, and they have some branching paths to them where you could do different things in the missions to uh, change the story of, of the game. Uh, there are secrets and like stuff in the missions where, like, oh, if you uh, destroy all of this uh, stuff, a... A uh, mech will come out and fight you, and if you beat the mech, you're going to get access to a special weapon. And and that is happening constantly all the time in this game, where they're just like... you know, And, and you kind of get this from Dark Souls 2, of them just being like, we're just going to hide some shit over here that some people will find. Uh, but in this game, there's no... Um, you're not like leaving like a... Oh, a mech wrote something here. Let me see what the mech wrote on the floor. Oh, great mech hole. Okay. Mech so hole? No is on the ground. Great mech hole. Um, I, I heard some game. complaints uh, from people where they said that, like, there's a good chance that you're, you go through a level and then find out that, like, the boss requires something that you don't have. Like, I, I don't know if there is there, like, typings or something like that, or maybe it's like, oh, this boss, really, you need, like, a sniper or a long-range gun for it, and you you made it to the end of the level, and you don't have that. So now you have to kind of, like, leave the mission uh, with the information you know and then, like, re-modify your mech to make it ready for the boss. Yeah, so true? the way that it works is that uh, every time that you die, you have access to rebuilding your mech, but you don't have access to the store. So if there's a thing that you need and you haven't bought it yet, then that's an issue. I think that this is specifically an issue at the start of the game. At the end of the first chapter, I feel like... The end of the first chapter is where people will decide whether they will play this game or not. Because there is one very challenging fight at the end of the game, uh, at the end of the first chapter, where you might not have the weaponry to complete it. And if that's the case, then you do need to uh, leave the mission, buy that stuff, and go back. But I feel like... Um, by the next time you run into a difficult challenge, at that point, you've probably bought everything that you would need to to sort of face everything. So I think that that is a problem that people are going to butt their heads against once uh, when they fight Baltaeus. And, and it, it is a really cool fight. Uh, but 
I, I will say, like, building the mech feels really cool. It does feel like you have, like, a ton of different options uh, where you can, like, change your legs around. To, you could do, like, tank treads, which are really fast on the ground, have a lot of armor, can hold a lot of weight, but don't have good aerial abilities. You've got the tetra legs, which are, like, four, like, quad legs, where they have really good jumping and floating and hovering abilities, uh, but their ground speed isn't very good. Then you've got like the uh, bipedal legs, which uh, come in a couple of different flavors. Some of them are really good at like dashing speed and ground speed. Some of them are really good at boosting all around. Uh, and that's just the legs. Then you have like different types of missile targeting systems. You have uh, different types of heads, like heads, which help you with like scanning and things like that. And then obviously like there's the weapons of which you're carrying four weapons, two in your arms, two on your backs. Um, different types of boosting systems uh, and a really, really robust customization options where you can make your mech look like a John Deere tractor or like a, a McDonald's themed or really whatever you want. But those are the two that I think most people will gravitate towards John Deere and McDonald's, the two uh -huh. beloved U.S. brands. Okay. Uh, the movement, the movement is really good. The game uh, looks incredible. Uh, it's also extremely well optimized, like maybe one of the most well optimized games I've played all year. Actually works well on the Steam Deck and plays well on the Steam Deck. Has a lot of technology and uh, probably a lot of money backing this game because some of the set pieces are incredible. There is a point in this game where you are taking down a mech that is essentially the size of a small city and like dismant like moving around dismantling parts of it and then leaving and seeing it like collapse and break is like such an incredible moment this year uh that i thought was really impressive but and, and also this is a game that has a new game plus that ties into the story of the game where different things happen as you play through uh, the new game plus multiple times. That said, I did not finish this game yet. Ah, yes. the One of the rare, uh, uh, you know, dark spots of your catalog. It is. The Mason Life. Um, but here's something that's not a dark spot in the, in the Mason Life and not a dark spot in the catalog. September 5th, the game that would change everything. One of the most unique and interesting games of all time from one of the most accompany, accredited and powerful, um, uh, beloved video game companies ever. I'm talking, of course, about the game of the year for everyone, and that's Starfield. No one's talking about this game, right? So, uh, so wait, hold on. The thing, the thing I just... Did you not just hear me? No one's talking about this Was that not clear? Game, right? The thing that I just said? I, I, this is... This is the Skyrim people, James. They, the Skyrim people made a space game, and you can go any. You just get in your ship and you fly to anywhere, and it's your galaxy. And this is Skyrim in space, James. And it's nothing is like it, and it's going to change the world. Bethesda, the RPG masters, made Starfield. It's been in the works for for years, for almost a decade, and now it comes out, and it's. Part of me feels like this game was made to create great trailers because like if you show someone a five minute trailer of this game, they'll be like, wow, that looks incredible. Look at all of these different 
vistas, look at all of these different creatures, uh, look at these different cities. One of these cities, they've got like a cyberpunk city. They've got like this utopian looking city. They've got like this dilapidated, um, like, uh, like, like space station that's been, that's been transformed into this like hodgepodge city. Like they've got like this building mode. Look at all these different weapons. Look at all these different skill trees. Uh, and the game looks like a lot, uh, but it is a game that is, a mile wide and an inch an inch deep, which I think is the thing. And, and it feels like this is a game that they built. And I, I think that they built a good skeleton here, but ultimately didn't really flesh it out, right? Like they didn't put any meat on the bones. They built a skeleton and were like, all right, guys, figure out the muscle for yourself, right? So I this seems like another instance where Bethesda has made a game that they're hoping the community will finish for them. And that's not to say that Starfield is meritless. Like, there are some cool things in this game. Leveling up in this game uh, feels cooler than leveling up in Diablo, for example. <laughs> the skill trees uh, actually have cool shit on them in this game that I, I feel like are altering your gameplay. Uh, but there's a lot of issues with this game. And I say this as someone who uh, has 96 hours in this game. I've I fully completed this game, and I played some New Game Plus. So my opinion is the correct opinion, because it is an informed opinion, uh, which is to say that this game uh, is the most middling game of the year. Not the worst game of the year. I don't think the game is actively bad. But I do think, oh, we have a late edition. That's why, that, this is why I was, I'm so confused because the, the, our, our list has Starfield September 5th and Baldur's Gate September 6th, but it's actually Which Starfield, mistake, yeah. Starfield came out September 6th. And I think I, I remember the, uh, like what we talked about on this podcast very well. And that was that. I already think that I don't really like Bethesda games, but sure. but for what Starfield is doing is is by all accounts, even for Bethesda liking people, uh, just way too late. And that was especially true because we missed a, a very important game. We'll go back to talk about Baldur's Gate, but one of the things that's interesting is that Baldur's Gate decided to release a month early to get out of Starfield's way. Sure. Which is very funny. Because I retrospectively, looking back on problem it, problem happened. Yeah, it was really that Starfield needed to get out of Baldur's Gate's way. Um, so ultimately, this game has a ton of mechanics. There is a uh, there is the regular Bethesda shit of procedurally generated bullshit dungeons. Uh, there is a uh base building aspect where you are going to different planets uh that have different resources on them uh and you are being like okay this this planet is really rich in this resource so i'm gonna build a base here so that i could farm this this stuff and now i have this unlimited supply of nickel and that's great because i need nickel to build this one weapon attachment and it's like, all right, so you've built this one weapon attachment. 
now you have hundreds of nickel for what because they built this really robust system of of uh base building where you can attach all of these different machines together and you can harness the power of the flora and fauna and you can uh capture animals uh and and like breed them and like get their materials for no fucking reason there's nothing to do with any of it yeah why did they build all of these systems and then you can't do anything and do you think that the game do you no, think that no the- i need to say this I need to say that this game is built around looping and new game plus. And when you loop the fucking, the buildings and your ships, nothing carries over, but it's built around looping new game plus. It's fucking crazy. That's wild. What are they thinking? Oh my God. It's so frustrating that it feels like they built different systems in vacuums and a lot of these systems, some of them are pretty good. The shipbuilding feels really cool. It feels really cool to like level up your character and be like, and and leveling up the different skills of being like, all right, I want to get my piloting ability up, so I need to grind and and like take down ships. So I'm gonna start taking these missions to uh, do space combat, and and that's great. So you've got like a pretty robust and interesting uh, ship combat whatever building system for ships but it doesn't feed back into any of the systems and and this is true of everything where they're they're, they've been like all right we created a no man's sky situation of visiting different planets and and it's like okay that's great because then we have these this base building component but none of it feeds into each other in like an interesting way the only thing that ties everything together is your character's levels and it feels interesting and engaging to level up and to have access to all of these new features but then you loop and it's all gone so what's the point of any of it yeah i mean i i I really wanted to mention that exact thing because i think in a lot of ways this this game is just it's it's so weird to me for two reasons First of all, like we we said before, we missed it. And maybe, honestly, for the sake of this conversation, it's probably more important to talk about Starfield now, um, even though Baldur's Gate came out before it, because B- Starfield is such a Bethesda-ass Bethesda game where, like, they cannot, like, stop from doing their own thing. And it feels like they just don't know how to do not their own thing. They don't know how to just do Fallout in different, in different areas. And that, like, just like you said, that there's these different elements of the game where it really also feels to me like bizarre because you have a game like no man's sky, which is like, I I feel like if I was developing Starfield, this would be such a pain in my ass to think about the, the conversation to to think about, about the, the existence of no man's sky because if you like let's say you're into this aesthetic you you you're you're someone who likes the idea of space exploration and space and base building and all this kind of stuff let's sure, say you, sure, you sure. think these things are exciting that you're talking about in this game like hey how about the game that's been improving itself constantly uh for the last 10 years no man's sky where you can where you can jump into a ship and then just take off and just take off and fly out of the atmosphere and then fly to another planet in real time 
all yeah. in real time. Like, like this this game, like like it is so weird because it's like doing so many things in half ways. Like it it it, it, it almost like like excuse me for not playing it but could you almost imagine like the game being fallout but like recolored and then like just take out the unrelated like space segments because there's like they're not they're like separate areas it's almost like a mini game because there's no true i think one of the most important it's weird because like one of the most important things for this sort of like immersion and space exploration and everything that someone might want who likes this genre is that like you hop in your ship and you just fly and you're taking off and the 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 land is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and the clouds are rushing towards you and then like the sky opens up and you you see space and the 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 planet you were just on is like a little dot and you're just flying to like all these kind of things that like that you want out of that like space genre aren't really here in this game because it really is just like the fallout mechanics in space with like some cobbled together things of like well there's going to be space combat because we have to do it but like we didn't really know anything about it and like oh no man's sky does base building and like resource mining and uh you know uh planet creation and, and everything so we have to do that but it's like I, I just don't know. I feel like there's, and the only person who would really like this is like a the person who's been playing Skyrim for the last ten years that is like, oh, they finally came out with another game, and they ha- they're not a No Man's Sky. What is that? I don't know what you're talking about. And and I the, the weird so so that that promise of space exploration and space immersion and everything that comes with that, I feel like is done you know leaps and bounds infinitely yeah, better but, in no man's sky and then sure. then the the biggest problem is that bethesda's way of doing rpgs and their the way that they that they build out their stories and narratives and the way that they flesh out that first person narrative and the choices you make being important are so insanely outdated that they are xbox 360 era kind of gameplay choices because a month before that was Baldur's Gate, a game yeah, which... Yeah, but I'm which... not done talking about Starfield. Okay. Because I do want to say that there is some cool stuff in Starfield. I do think, and I want to talk about it a little bit in Best Moments, because I actually thought that some of the story beats in Starfield were pretty smart and were pretty good. But that it, it almost felt like they, they, they had this issue of they had a couple of good ideas in this game including some really good narrative ideas. And then they just covered it with bullshit. They covered it with doing nothing. They covered it with being boring. So there's like all there's good ideas, there's good story beats, there's fun systems that they put a bunch of boring shit, the worst world design I've ever seen. It is and I think that the world design is the biggest detriment of this game. I mean, are you talking cuz cuz when this came out we want I, to visit the planets. Yeah, I talked about how one of the funniest things to me in this game in like maybe maybe you can illuminate or like elucidate this is that in the trailers they kind of show these like realistic worlds and when I say realistic, if you look at a lot of the planets in the galaxy they're really boring the only interesting like planet, real planets the only interesting planet in the known universe is 
Earth. That's it. That's the only interesting planet. Because if you go to any other planet, like Mars is red and rocky. That's it. Like there's there's nothing interesting going on on other planets that wouldn't have like to be interesting. A planet needs to have like populations or a city. So you did mention these cities, and those things sound cool, right? But if you it, the the ways that the, these kind of other planets are like they're too realistically where where it's like if you look at the moon or something it's just like it's just white and rocky if you look at Mars but, it's like but the white other and thing rocky. is that they've dotted every single every single planet with the same shit where it's like you go to this planet and there's a bunch of dots on it oh this dot has a structure like there's like pirates that are here oh it's the ubisoft here, it's like, the ubisoft it's the the open world thing of like of like oh yeah, but it's whenever there's random. a whenever is there it's this, all this pirate random thing, yeah. and it makes no sense thematically of being like oh i'm in this area cataloging this like i'm I'm cataloging this zone why are you cataloging this zone there's fucking pirates all over this planet dog you don't need to catalog they've this been zone. they done they've been catalog- it cataloged it yeah they figured it out because they built the same fucking McDonald's on this planet as they did on the other 12 planets. Yeah. Every, there's a fucking McDonald's on all these planets and you're just going in and you're exploring the McDonald's dungeon. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so sad because there's some good ideas here. There's stuff. I want to talk about it. We have a, we have a section, uh, later called best moment and Starfield actually nails some of the moments. They do some interesting things. But it's such a sad game. I can't say it's a disappointment because I looked at this game and I knew what to expect. I wasn't expecting this to be a very good game. I was expecting it to be a game that I liked. And you know what? It did hook me. The thing that hooked me is that it's fun to level up. It was fun to make a character build and say, like, this is what my character uh this is what my character does they their main thing is they are a crafter they build insane uh attachments for weapons and that's what i did is i as i poured all of my systems towards building crazy weapon attachments towards the end of the game i had some truly insane weapons that was fun uh but to what end right like the the stuff that's going on is just not engaging or interesting enough for me to care about it and i should because i built some really cool shit but for nothing. Like, I, I felt like at the end of the game, like, it was cool to experience the story, uh, but there's just not a lot out there. Yeah, and, and that's why we should go to the next thing, where I feel like it, it, it is a game that uh, will... It's it's this game's Breath of the Wild. It's this year's Breath of the Wild, where um, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of an elephant in the room, I think, going forward for RPGs where uh, it, it will be the, uh, the, the, the stick with which uh, RPGs are measured, kind of. It's like the, uh, the gold standard, I mean, is a better, probably a better uh, way to say it. It's like the gold standards of RPGs going forward. Um, really an ex- a, a shocking game. Uh, that would be uh, August 3rd. Uh, we did out of order. Uh, Baldur's Gate three um had its full release we it, wanted, it was and then this was an intentional out of order oh, because yeah. we did want and, to talk yeah. about starfield relative to Baldur's gate three uh so i was actually in a, in a bit of a situation with Baldur's gate three um because i, I sort of had the situation of Weren't you i need to finish to i need to finish zelda i need to finish zelda so that i could play Baldur's gate three and then when Baldur's Gate 3 came out, it was, I want to finish Baldur's Gate 3 
because I'm going on vacation and need to uh, play Starfield. So for me, all of August, the entirety of August was me playing Baldur's Gate 3. And happy to say I actually did get to finish Baldur's Gate 3 on September 1st, right before uh, going away to New York to... Um, uh, do the do the New York thing to visit family and, and see all of that. So at the same time, it, it was kind of good to experience Baldur's Gate 3 in this way because it prevented me from the feeling like I need to 100% this game. I need to see everything. I was able to say I'm gonna I'm gonna miss some things, but I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can. So and that's good because Baldur's Gate 3 is also another game that doesn't let you see everything uh, on the first playthrough. Uh, so Baldur's Gate 3 is a CRPG. That's what they call it. What does the C stand for? Computer. It, it actually does, right? It I think it's computer. For computer RPG. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's like it's one of those class. It's a classic, like yeah, computer RPG. Baldur's Gate has been a franchise for a while as. Uh, uh, possibly hinted by the fact that it is called Baldur's Gate 3. Um, but I would not say that Baldur's Gate is a popular franchise, despite the fact that it is it is a D&D adjacent. D&D, is it even adjacent? Because Baldur's Gate is a no, place it is, in D&D. It is, within, it is uh, a D&D licensed game. Yeah. This game is using the Dungeons & Dragons license. Uh, so uh, comparable games to this would be... Uh, Pathfinder, uh, Wrath of the Righteous, which came out. I love that game. That was great. Uh, Pillars of Eternity and Divinity Original Sin. So yeah, those so are kind a, of this the... This is, a, in, a lar- in a large way, a tabletop RPG, right? This is as close to playing Dungeons & Dragons as you can get by yourself. Yeah. And that is to say that this is also a game with the most generous Dungeon Master that you could find, because this game will really let you do some crazy shit. Th- this game really, it, it does allow you to, I guess, just like act in the way that you want, but also uh, it, it is extremely responsive uh, to your choices. I think that's where it's like, there's no, uh, where what makes this game unique is kind of hard to explain, but uh, why we're talking about it the way we are talking about it is because there is definitely there has never been another game that ever reacted to you the way that this game reacts to you this game does frequently react to you like a like you said like a uh tabletop rpg like a a um a dungeon master that is that is you know realistically reacting to you where you're getting to do these in- insane things and and characters are talking about they're like realizing things you're doing and they like wrote dialogue for weird things that you did um they wrote dialogue like unique incidental dialogue for like you took a character to this area and they just said something or had something to do in that area so there's a lot of like the game is like constantly doing things that make it feel so real or so tailored to you which is very yeah, and there's and there's stuff like that that don't seem like a like a big deal when you explain them, but when you play them, they feel big because you feel like you made the decisions to get there. Yeah, I guess it's like, kind of hard because it's it almost is like it's like this intangible thing that that more than any more than any video game, any video game period has ever tried to do. Like I think that the the element of choose your own adventure is like 
so common in video games that there's so many games like Starfield or like Mass Effect or something that have this like, oh, your choices are going to matter. But a lot of times what they mean by your choices matter is like it changes the credits at the end. Like there's a different like thing that happens at the end of the game. And usually for a lot of these other RPGs, like a common thing that would happen in the RPG is like, oh, do you want to help the lady or not help the lady? And then you help the lady, and then when you go back to her, her dialogue is like, oh, thank you so much for helping my dog. And then if you say you don't want to help her lady or you like kill her dog, then she's like, why did you kill my dog? And that and that they is like they wouldn't even let you kill the dog, that, and, or they wouldn't games. even let you kill the dog. But that would be like, but like that incidental kind of like nothing dialogue where it feels where like the developer can say oh we wrote we wrote um dialogue and we made the world react to what you did because you helped the lady and she mentions that you helped her but it feels so stilted and it feels like the world there's i think it does it feels like the world is um that all the npcs are their own world and they are right but there's something about Baldur's Gate where it tricks you into not thinking that way because the characters are coming back they're the like NPCs come back they remind you of things they talk about things it feels like things are going on in the world without you because people like will leave and remember something or another character will have heard of something so it just feels like the things you're doing are more uh, like the world is actually reacting to you in a way that like it's not just it, it's not a small thing like the NPC reacts to you. It's the world. It feels like the NPCs are talking to each other uh, behind your back and that things are happening so that you're like kind of impressed when something you did returns in a weird way where you're like, damn, like that has nothing to do with that thing I did hours ago. But you remember this or like another character remembered this? Yeah, I think one of the big ones like is there is so so this is very, very specific but I want to provide an example of like sort of the responsiveness of this of this world. So there is a secret weapon that you can get in the bottom of this tomb, and it's like this radiant, uh, this like radiant scepter. It's protected by all of this like radiant magic, and you have a character with you who is a vampire. Uh, and there is a specific setup that you could do where you could force this character uh, and and it's not like through dialogue options, but it's like you can make things happen in such a way that your vampire companion gets fucking melted by this radiant damage. Then you can go back and resurrect him at, at like the, there's like a character that works with you that allows you to resurrect your party members. And when you resurrect him, he is fucking pissed. He is like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why would you put me under a laser that is effectively concentrated sunlight? Like it is, it is so funny and thoughtful, just like the way that it, that the game responds to this like very specific thing that could have happened if you did things in such an order that this unfolded. And that is not a unique situation in this game. That is like every moment of this game, like with every character that you're interacting with, you're getting these opportunities uh, to change the way that they respond to you and to change the relationships that the people around you will have with you as a result of how you not just respond to people in dialogue, but the way that you let combat 
um, happen and, and the type of person that you choose to be. I think there's it, also something that is like kind of unbelievable about this game where I don't know if there's ever been another game that a uh, conversation with characters feels like a gameplay element. Um, I think that it, the best that you ever get in a lot of other RPGs is that like, you know, like the, that Mass Effect Paragon Renegade thing of like, you can say the nice thing or the mean thing, but conversation with characters feels very like deep and you're finding out more about the world and they're kind of reacting to you and your character and your party and things you've done and because of it it feels like more organic and natural and more fun in a way that like i didn't find myself like constantly um skipping through dialogue instead like i found the dialogue itself to be like a gameplay mechanic if that makes any sense oh yeah for sure um, it also, and, and also the game like re- wants to reward you equally for whatever you do. So, so like, I, th- I think we've, we've talked about this in, especially around the time of this release where there's games where like you can talk your way out of the situation, but you're not very rewarded for it. Maybe like you don't get any reward where they, they value the gameplay mechanic that they go with. So like, like for an RPG, maybe, uh, like maybe like Fallout 3 or something, like you can maybe talk your way out of a bad situation, but if you get into a fight and then kill them, then you'll get the experience and the loot from it. So like what is talking yourself out of the bad situation usually getting you? But this game like wants to reward you in those ways. It wants to to make every decision feel like equally impactful so that you as the player don't feel like like, oh, you know, I could talk myself out of this situation, but I know that, like, if I kill this bu- this guy, I'm going to get his gun from it. And he has a very yeah, easy Yeah, and there's also a lot of games where you'll be like, I talk myself out of the situation, and then I kill them anyway. Yeah. Because then I get to double dip on rewards. Yeah. And this game play- plays around that, where if you've talked yourself out of the situation, uh, you, you don't get the XP for killing them. Uh, unless you do like some some like bullshit that I think got fixed, but the idea is not that like this is this incredible innovation. The idea of it is that they care enough about these systems to make it a consideration. It's not the fact that it, it that this happens. It's the fact that they cared enough to make it this way. So that they cared enough to make it so that you're not gamifying and min-maxing and munchkining everything that you do. Uh, because they want you to just play the game, right? Yeah, they do want you. I think they do want, kind of want you to play the game and roll with the punches. Like this is this is a pretty good game. I think that there's a lot of games where you want to stay, save scum a lot. So like you, you like the, like in in another game. Uh, and, a, and a much more boring game that has more boring answers to things, like let's say like like a Skyrim or something. Like maybe you have that check. I mean, Skyrim doesn't really necessarily have checks, I guess. But like you have a check where where like a, a guard is going to let you in or out of this place, and then if you fail it, you're like, well, shit. Like now I like now I don't want to do it the other way. I want to just save scum and go backwards. But this game usually like. Like, if you do the thing correctly, something cool happens. If you make a mistake, something interesting happens. It causes, like, characters to react to you. So, like, it, it almost makes you never want to save scum because you're like, no, you know, like, I, I I, was supposed to pass this check, but I screwed up and they made fun of me and it caused this, this other situation to happen, this other unique thing to happen. Like, I've had, like, b- bizarre situations happen where, like, I 
I, I had one time where like I thought I was doing the right thing and I got poisoned and then knocked out and then this whole other event happened out of like the normal time and like all these other things crazy things happened so it almost like made me rewarded for like that time I failed to check you know so it, it, it's hard to talk we cannot cover the the scope of this game but I will say that um, the combat in this game, I really loved it. I, I felt rewarded and I, f- the game makes you feel one of my favorite things is that when a game makes you feel smart, <laughs> like, I think that we all love that. We all want a game that makes us feel clever. That's one of the things that I really enjoyed about deceiving, like the idea of feeling like I was outsmarting people. Uh, and in this game, you do get that where you're constantly, in the combat, in the dialogue, you're always trying to feel like you're outsmarting the systems. And it always feels like the game is rewarding you for that. They're saying, we thought of that too. Great job. Here's your reward for doing that. And they, they do it in the combat with the way that you build character class, with the way that you could build your characters. They, they're One of the things that they do really well is that there are people who come from Dungeons and Dragons who were like, this is how the game represented uh, this system in D&D. This is how the game has um, sort of represented uh, your ability to build like this type of warlock mixed with this type of soldier. And this is the way that the you can multi-class to represent like this trick in D&D. And, and I think that that is uh, really smart. And it's not a one-to-one translation. Like, the systems in this game aren't one-to-one D&D. Uh, they've found a lot of ways to make it a video game. And I don't really have those examples, like, uh, tailored up. But, you know, like, there there are ways that are like, oh, you could, like, there's abilities called, like, uh, Wish that lets you do any one thing in D&D. And obviously they can't have that because there's no like text field where you're chat GPTing in what you want to happen. Uh, but they give you a pretty wide range of things that you could do. They also made the decision to stop this game at level 12 because anything beyond that in D and D and you start to get into these like insane world bending powers that would, uh, kind of make the game a little bit, a little bit silly. So I don't know what else there really is, uh, to say about this game right now. Just that they nailed everything. Uh, you know, the all of the characters are fully voiced, fully mo-capped, um, which is by itself like insane. Uh, the the characters, uh, the acting is incredible. The storyline, oh, yeah. writing is incredible. The combat is incredible. Uh, building your own character class, uh, so many options to choose from. The multi-classing aspect of it. Uh, this game it lacks will, for nothing. Make you, will make you better at D&D. You can play this game and then go play D&D and you know all the rules of D&D. This game can teach you how to play it. Uh, I think I think one of the craziest things I would say about this game is that it starts off, um, you kind of like start accruing party members quickly. And some of the members I started accruing early on, I really didn't like. Uh, Asterian in particular, I really didn't like him because he was causing a lot of like intra party issues and was an asshole from the very get go because he like tried to kill me. Um, and uh, 
I think that in any other game I play the game, an, an, another problem that RPGs suffer from is, and I, I, don't, I don't know any other better way to say it than the Paragon Renegade thing. So like some oh, RPGs yeah. have like a good and bad thing. And if they have that, like Mass Effect had this thing with Paragon and Renegade where it's, where it's, it's good or bad. Um, and you're only rewarded for doing one or the other. Like, you're, the, the, the game doesn't like gray areas. But Baldur's Gate isn't reacting necessarily to it, you being, like, good or bad. It's reacting to every decision kind of, like, more piecemeal. Um, and uh, Asterion, I, I, I really didn't like him in the beginning because he, like, doesn't fit with the way I usually play games, which is, like, actually usually, like, super nice, very goody-two-shoes, like, very helping everyone. And I didn't like him at all at first, and I was trying to get him out of the party quickly. Um, but playing more and more with him, I started to really appreciate the fact that nothing was going smoothly. He always has, like, an issue or, like, has a problem with something I say, and it's constantly causing, like, drama. And because of it, it's it made me realize, like, that this game does so well. This game loves that kind of stuff. It loves yeah, those gray areas. Yeah, he's kind of a sassy bitch, right? It, this game loves gray areas, and it loves drama, and you almost, like, don't want that. For the first time in an RPG, you almost want someone who's sassy like him that's causing these problems because you're like, whoa, that's unique. Like, I was, I wanted to help this person out, but Asterian had a big problem with it, and now, like, you're starting to like Asterian, and... He's not what you expected or what you want originally thought you wanted, but maybe it's what you you wanted all along. And he's such a jerk, but like it's so it's lovable. It's funny also how the characters grow on each other yeah. too, and they like react to those in like weird ways, like in weird, interesting ways. I think it was just like like I, I uh, uh, the characters reacting to the way that you play. So like Asterian himself had a conversation where like I was just I just talked to him mid game and like on the road, and he was like, you know, like a lot of these things a lot of the ways you react to things are like just helping out everyone. Like it drives me crazy. And like, I hate being around you, but like, I'm still around you because I love you so much. And like, I, I I'm really getting to enjoy your company. And you know what? I kind of appreciate that you do things differently and I'm getting to see another side of things. So it's like kind of weird to be like, be like, it's interesting you're meeting because them you in the can middle. actually bend the character's personalities yeah, yeah. to the, like you can convince people that what you're doing is right. So, and there are sort of these situations sometimes where a character will be like, if you do that, we're fucking done. There's no coming back from it. And there's a lot of moments in the game where if you roll correctly, if you have the correct background, if if you've done the right things and said the right things to a character, you could be like, look, I know that it seems fucked up to do a genocide of all the people, but hear me out. Yeah. And they'll be like, well, I don't like genociding all of the people, but I see what you mean. Okay. <laughs> and then they just like let you do this shit. And sometimes it doesn't work out. And that feels okay too, because it does feel like this game is a lot about the story and a lot about just like uh, building that narrative and having an experience that is unique from other people. And I feel like that really worked out for me because I, I think a lot of people saw um my playthrough and they were like your shit is fucked james like the way that you've decided to play this is completely fucked but i need to see your game because it's so different from mine and i need to know what's going to happen when you reach this critical juncture because of the things that you've done because of the people that you've killed like what's going to happen with your playthrough 
And I love that. I love, I also just love the idea of playing this game again. And I really, really do hope uh, that you, Ryan, uh, play through this game. This is actually because, cause the I, one I, game that I would feel bad spoiling. Yeah, uh, I finished during the best the... moments because you also you finished the first act, which really sets you up uh, to come back to this game because this game does have three critical separate acts, and you finished the first one. It's weird because so. I finished the first act, and it felt like I, I haven't been this accomplished feeling about finishing like a video game like in a long time there's something weird about the way when you finish like that first act it feels like you finished an arc in an anime or something where a shonen where where you feel like so encapsulated so complete so like final where everyone is wrapping up there's a party at the camp like all the characters are talking about it everything all your decisions everyone's trying to blink you are coming to a head everyone is coming to your head um it's great and it's a game that maybe can can I don't know when we get another game like this. This is the culmination of so much work. So many developers were talking about this game and being like you can't expect every game like games to be like this. And even like Larian spoke out and they're like, "Yeah, we don't expect people to try to emulate this." Like hopefully people take away the right lessons. Hopefully what I really hope people take away from this is that you can let people fuck up. Like, let people fail. Let the failures of what I've my decisions turn into a story that makes what I see different. Because ultimately, the thing that made this game work is that this game became a conversation uh, among the gaming community of like, this is what I did, this is what I saw. And if you want your game to hit, you want people to see different things. And the way that you see let people do that is by letting people fuck up, making it so that they can't see everything at once. Uh, that that's that's how it is. And and I I want to see, it, I just want to see people learn something from this game, even if they can't make something at this caliber or level. It's true that Lies of P is the next game on our list. September 19th. It's good because we're kind of getting into games where we don't have to talk that much about them because we've kind of been talking about them recently. Um, I didn't play... I'm still curious about this one. I didn't pay... I I mean, we don't have to talk too much about it, but I am still like, huh, Lies of P, is it for me? Is it for you? Okay, so here's Lies of P. Lies of P is the best uh, uh, FromSoft game not released by FromSoft ever. Um, I played a lot of uh, FromSoft Souls-like games. It's a very popular uh, subgenre of video games. Um, I played a lot of Souls-like games. I played a lot of FromSoft games. Um, and Liza P is not only the best um, non-published uh, FromSoft game, but it is one of the. It, it would be one of the best of them if it were published by them. It is. It is that good. Um, it just manages to do everything very well. Um, it doesn't necessarily do a lot completely unique on its own. Um, one of the most unique things that I've talked about before is that there's just like weapon crafting mechanic where weapons are split into a weapon and a hilt, and uh, the hilt and the weapon both have their own uh, unique ultimate attack tied to them. Um, the uh, the the hilt determines the way the weapon swings in the animation. The the weapon itself determines like the damage, the 
the uh, how slow you can do it. So you can put like a dagger hilt onto a giant greatsword and it'll swing like a dagger animation, but do it slowly, um, but have like the dagger's ultimate ability. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of customization there. Um, I guess just why it would be so good. And like, I, and, and I, again, I've talked about this recently on a podcast is that, uh, it, it, number one, the story is actually followable. Um, and it's, and it's pretty good and it's really interesting because I think a lot of it and like, it's starting to come together now and I, I guess I'll understand it more, but where the reason why it's called lies of P is that, uh, it, it takes place in a world where, where there are puppets that are like these kind of automatons that are, that were slaves and they did all the menial tasks for everything. And one of the big things about puppets was that they had some sort of like Isaac uh, Asimov kind of rule where they weren't allowed to like harm humans. And one of the other things is they couldn't lie to humans. And you are, I guess, I'm not even sure if you really act technically are Pinocchio, but you have the, you are the only puppet with the ability to lie. And, and lying or telling the truth changes a lot of things in the game but i guess i guess some one of the main themes of the game is like is lying bad what if lying can be good uh, i guess like one of the one of the examples that i would use of that because that sounds like a silly kind of just like what do you mean um is that there's like a um like a woman on her deathbed and uh she's dying and you're supposed to go like find her child and you find her child and it's dead and the child was murdered um, by the puppets and you can go back and you can tell her the truth um, or you could lie and just say like no everything's fine she's safe uh, but like what is the correct I, I guess like like the the theme of it is like what is the correct answer there because like there, there's the truth um, and like that is 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 you know inherently supposed to be good true but, like, true but what is but like what does a lie do here does like is like lying more beneficial for the world uh, in this case. So that's like one of the, some of the main, like kind of like sub themes, but, um, uh, where, I, where I think it really just strives is like, it, it is, it is maybe one of the best, if not the best souls life souls like game in its gameplay mechanics. I don't think that there is actually another, uh, other than like my favorite of them is bloodborne. And I think that it's a good combination between the speed of like Sekiro and bloodborne, where it is just so, it's so good at what it's doing and getting on later on into the game that I'm at now, you, you really, it feels like you have to be good. I, there was a boss that I fought more times than any other boss in my entire video game career. That was that hard. And by the end, I really had to just like study it and fight it a lot. So I felt really confident fighting it. And I, 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 I think there's very few games right now that I would sit and like grind a boss for a couple hours to be able to like learn it and beat it and not be like furious and not and actually be like enjoying the time because I'm learning it and I'm getting better at the game than it is like Liza yeah so Liza P just fantastic fantastic game um, the same day on September nineteenth the same day that we we were graced by uh, Mortal Kombat one the first Mortal Kombat some would say. So this game is a reboot kind of of the Mortal Kombat. It's Mortal Kombat 1 because Liu Kang gained the powers of a god and rebooted the universe. And now all the characters and major players of Mortal Kombat exist, but are kind of like in different places and doing different things and are a different alternate reality version of of them. That's kind of like the the setup. Um, We do talk a lot about Mortal Kombat. Um... Uh, we like fighting games. Uh, I typically don't like the Mortal Kombat franchise 
that much. And one of the reasons why is is number one, NRS is another uh, Realm Studios that makes it is like famously not fantastic at balancing. That's one big big reason. Uh, they it doesn't feel like they do a good job of balancing. And then maybe one of the other things that I really don't like is that they start to add these really cheesy guest characters. Like usually, like the first season of a Mortal Kombat game, you're gonna get like Freddy or Jason or something, and it's like I just don't have any appeal to it and then it's just it starts to get weird where it's like oh here's sub-zero fighting like freddy or like you uh usually since the guest characters are so good you end up watching a tournament and like it's um alien versus jason or something at the grand grand finals it's just just you don't like that no i I really don't like that i would rather there's so many good mortal kombat characters I, i feel like i would rather just have mortal kombat characters than like all these cheesy uh guest characters um, but uh, the other thing, the thing that makes Mortal Kombat 1, I guess, so special is the uh, that it is a 1.5 character fighting game. Um, it is the only fighting game I can think of where you have a main character and then a cameo character that is like an assist, but the assists are very deep. You have multiple attacks. It's not just one attack like in other fighting games. And the assists only, ex- only exist to be assists. Um, it's not like uh, another. It's not like a like a you know Marvel Infinite or something where you have two characters uh, th- and and like one, the, each of them has like their assists. Like this is uh, you have different assists every character and it really changes the way a lot of the characters would play. Um, do you have anything like like is this game surprising to you? Like what do what do you think about Mortal Kombat? I do think it's surprising. I think the thing that's surprising is that uh, we played it for as long as we did. I actually have more hours in Mortal Kombat 1 than I do in Street Fighter 6. Really? Uh, I do. Yeah, I do. Um, I thought the online was fairly fun. One of my favorite things about Mortal Kombat is that because the game has more casual appeal, uh, you actually fight really terrible people online who are really bad at fighting games yeah so it feels uh pretty good to like grind ranks in this game because it's like so easy to rank up there are things i like more about this game versus uh the other one and things i like less i think that the um this game is kind of like a one step forward one step back on uh, in terms of like fighting games because there there's some r- good stuff and some bad stuff so the good stuff i like the cameo system uh, I love the color palette of this game. I think that they they do the the characters feel really fun to play. The game feels faster and more slick. It doesn't feel as stiff as Mortal Kombat typically feels. Uh, on the con side, I would say everything that's outside of the gameplay in this game is pretty bad. Uh, the cosmetics in this game are and like the character customization, all of like the the like games around the game is is pretty bad compared to the last one where it felt like you were constantly unlocking cool stuff and like designing your character in a cool way that doesn't feel like the case anymore yeah invasions uh, is really one. bad is like a really bad game mode i'm kind of like uh, uh turned off tomb yeah the the, compared game. to the tomb they like felt really good like i think mortal kombat typically is the game is the fighting game that has the most for the casual fan for, for someone who doesn't want to get into the uh constant like grind of like ranked or just get better they just kind of want to jump in and play characters i think mortal kombat usually does that very well but there's not as much to do in this mortal kombat it doesn't feel quite as fleshed out it does feel rushed in a lot of ways and it there does. were it does. there were a lot of really really weird like problems they had to get fixed like i think 
uh, famously the first player the advantage. first player advantage. There was a thing where like the second player couldn't do combos right because the there was a different gravity and this took like weirdly enough it took like a week to find out where someone had found out like and again this is working on online this works online where for one week of this like actual fighting game of mortal combat of all things the player who was the second player had like higher gravity had like lower gravity or, or like the, the first player had higher gravity when they were getting comboed so the second player doing combos like they they would drop the combos randomly because they were like harder to do or in some cases impossible which is like a really weird thing Um, it's bizarre yeah yeah it just Um, feels kind of rushed yeah so it it is a good game with um some interesting dlc characters this time around at least some of them are a little bit samey you've got omni man you've got homelander and you've got peacemaker for what it's worth these characters they fit the bill a little bit better they, they do i mean they're all the same archetype of character but they do have like different like moveset like they they do different things like i don't expect homelander to play like omni man and so i think that's fine these are they're fun characters uh quan chi released recently he's really cool um we'll see what this game like looks like into next year i am impressed that it, it feels like they're updating this game uh faster than any other fighting game is at the very least like at least they have like this seasonal cadence to where it's giving them this opportunity to think about balance and it is something that they're doing yeah um more so than other games so we'll see i like it a lot um, more i like it a lot more than i've ever liked a mortal Kombat. and there's there's certain aspects of it like just talking about it kind of makes me want to play it a little bit I, like i i do like uh i think that the characters in this game are like pretty insanely unique I, 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 I i'm looking at like and maybe that also feels that way because grand blue characters um, just because of the systems of Grand Blue, they have like somewhat similar combo routing, and a lot of them have like like you can just kind of like jump in really quickly and be like, oh, this is that move, and this is that move, and like a lot of characters have like their reversal or whatever. They feel kind of shadowy. Whereas I think in Mortal Kombat, all the characters feel like pretty ridiculously unique, and you need to you need to like learn their their strings and everything, and everything fighting the characters feels. Like you have to know them, and uh, that, that that no one, no two characters are the same, and that, that the cameos do change things up a lot. I'm pretty excited. I I, I would play more of this game, um, and and I did have a great time with it. Yeah, it's a good year for fighting games for sure. And, Tell me, you know, that's represented well. There's a lot of demons in Mortal Kombat in the uh, Nether realms, right? But uh, uh, when they get loosed in 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 a in a, a, a Earth, right? Uh, 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 who do you call? Yeah, so demonologists, demonologists is what you call. So so we've talked a lot about phasmophobia on this podcast. Phasmophobia has also spawned a genre where there are a lot of copycat games of them. Demonologist is one of them. Demonologist is one of the scarier of them uh, because they have a lot of scripted moments, for better or worse. So... The good thing about the scripted moments is they're terrifying and a lot of them are really smart. Like you'll be walking near this corridor and something will like skitter past. Uh, and that kind of stuff is cool. So once you've identified like what type of ghost you're dealing with. So so this is a game where you're it's about identifying what type of ghost you're dealing with. And once you identify it, there, this game also has a exorcism feature. Uh, so my my opinion on Demonologist is that the start of it, it starts out really strong, 
where like you're seeing all of these scripted moments. Uh, it's really scary. The environments are cool, but it doesn't have the staying power of of like a game like Phasmophobia because you run out of scripted moments eventually, right? Like even if there's a lot of them, like eventually you're gonna see them all. And at some point you're going to be like, all right, well, I've already, oh, I'm going to walk past the corridor again. Up oh, there's the skittering. Oh, I'm going to turn around here. I'm going to turn back. Oh, the, everything is moved. Oh, the TV turned on. Like it's, it's cool the first time you see yeah. it, but then it starts to wear on. It you. makes sense. It's like more, since it's more um, curated that, that first time of course is going to be much better than anything in phasmophobia, but it doesn't work the second time. So we don't have to get too into the backstory of like cyberpunk or how that went down. Uh, but Phantom Liberty is an expansion that released this year uh, that came with enough significant system changes that it warrants being sort of a, a standalone discussion. Uh, and that's not just on our end. I feel like a lot of, um, uh, you know, Game of the Year sites and all those are are considering the same sort of thing. Uh, so Phantom Liberty is a expansion set in the same city uh as as the original game uh where it is kind of a spy thriller sort of situation and the story of it is that the president of the united states uh is on a ship flying over uh liberty city uh and that ship crash lands in a pretty um lawless part of town and you are working with her to sort of extract her but also there are all these um Side stories going on, not exactly sure who is a good guy, who's a bad guy. Uh, the the lead cast member that a lot of people are talking about is Idris Elba. Uh, and, you know, so, so there's this side story going on. It also rolls back into the main story uh, by playing through Phantom Liberty. Uh, there are some, I think, like four or five different ways in which it could alter the ending of Cyberpunk, which already had like a pretty robust end of game with like a lot of different branching decisions. Uh, but alongside this was um, sort of Cyberpunk 2.0 release, which was massive uh, system revamps to the game, uh, where they actually went and changed where it used to be the kind of boring skill system that I lament about. And they changed it into the more exciting kind that we like where you feel like the changes that you're making to your skill tree are really affecting your character's style uh, of gameplay. They sped the game up a lot, and, and they really made it feel less like an RPG and more like an action game. So now the game is just this really slick, really fast, really well-optimized action game uh, that also has these RPG mechanics where you're... Uh, kidding out your character, making different uh, decisions, which they're, they're not like Baldur's Gate level decisions. They really are more of like the I do thing A or I do thing B. Um, but it is still a really well-designed and really well-realized world uh, with the addition of the new area in the DLC, along with a ton of really cool uh, weapons and equipment. Uh, because this game has like the sort of like... Uh, destiny style loot where like you have like uh you know these pretty basic weapons until you get up to the exotic level and the exotics are doing really crazy unique things and that's kind of what cyberpunk has where it's doing these really crazy and unique things uh 
so all in all, this is sort of, and, and this I think is the the public opinion too that Phantom Liberty is the redemption arc of uh, Cyberpunk. Yeah, it does seem very redeemed. I want to play it, and I will. But I believe you. Will you play Counter Strike Two, which uh, released no. on September twenty seventh? No, it was worth. I, I it was it was fun because like it kind of felt fun to play. Like I actually had we played it for one night, and it kind of felt okay. But one of the big things that I would say about Counter-Strike that is uh, so weird about Counter-Strike 2 is that they call it Counter-Strike 2, and it's not 2 in, like, an exciting... It's so weird that it's a, that it's Counter-Strike 2. It's just not 2 I don't think an anyone exciting... gives a rat's ass. Nobody is talking about this, right? Yeah. Nobody cares about this. Yeah. Anyone who's playing this, I mean, just play Valorant, They were right? just playing Counter-Strike just 1. play the finals. Right? We'll get to that. Yeah, it was, it's just weird. It's such a weird update. It feels good. Counter-Strike still feels good and bad in the same ways that Counter-Strike felt good and bad. And I don't think that two, the Counter-Strike 2 is in any meaningfully way different than Counter-Strike 1. It's like, it, it looks a little bit better, and then there's some cool changes to, like, how smoke and fire works. But, like, it, it's, it's a Counter-Strike game. It's Counter-Strike. Uh, and that gives us to a, a large gap, maybe one of the biggest gaps uh, in the set where we're going right from September 27th all the way to October 19th with World of Horror. Kirby, you are excited to talk about this one, right? Am I? No. Uh, so World of Horror is a it's kind of like a board game, kind of like a roguelite, but it is this heavily Junji Ito inspired uh, two-bit, kind of like Return of the Obra Dinn uh, style game uh, where you, I guess it's called One Bit, right? But it's heavily inspired by Junji Ito and HP Lovecraft. It's a point-and-click, it's a roguelite, uh, it's kind of a board game where you are going through all of these different horrors uh, with like a turn-based combat style, making decisions, but none of the decisions are really good things. And I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't get the chance to play this. But the reason why I bring it up is because I do want to play it, and it has uh, pretty cool art. It's just a a cool-looking game. Uh, Won a couple of awards. Seems neat. Seems like something I'd enjoy. Just didn't get around to it yet. Yeah. um, But you know, uh, Kevin Klein played it, so you know it's good. Uh. The day after that, uh, exactly a very similar type of game, same thematically, uh, Super Mario Brothers Wonder, right? Like a very yeah. Junji Ito, like Super Mario Brothers Wonder has a lot of body horror, right? Yeah, and you know, this is one of the, we're getting into the territory where all of these games we've recently discussed. Yeah. Um, and it, you it's also crazy. You it, talked it, a lot it about it. Cr- it's isn't it crazy how this came out in October? It feels like this game released a couple, like, I we just started talking, like, I don't even know. Where where did the last two months go? I don't know. Great question. I, I have no idea. I've been in class. I've been so busy. I'm playing Lies of P. That's it. But, um... So, we already yeah, so recently this. This discussed... Has, this this discussed has a unique yeah. drug fuel uh mechanic where where it's a it's a is it always like kind of a 2d game but then every once in a while you hit uh some weird shit happens and and yeah some changes sometimes the perspective changes sometimes uh different mechanics in the world change where you're picking up this item that is sometimes hard to find sometimes not it's like wonder flower 
and you pick it up and the level changes where like the pipes will come alive or your character will get shot into space and then it is changing like the second half of the level uh in some really exciting ways so the game has a ton of ideas and each level uh is really well curated really really feels distinct and unique there's always some type of hook or unique enemy in every level and in every level they also have this wonder mechanic that is changing uh the level in some really surprising ways so this game also has uh, something that's unique to it uh, for a Mario game is badges, which are passive abilities that you can equip. These aren't that interesting, but uh, some of them are kind of fun to mess around with, where they're giving you extra wall jumps or they're giving you a glide and things like that. Uh, but they never feel so impactful that like you're feeling like, oh, I need to equip this specific one to get to this specific thing, which I think is fine because that would get kind yeah, of Yeah, you really couldn't do that. You don't want that. Uh, but Super Mario Wonder is also a strand type game where you are inhabiting uh, these levels. You could go online and then you're in the levels with the ghosts of other players who are playing the game at the same time. And they can uh, show you where secrets are. They can resurrect you if you die. And they can emote at you. So uh, Super Mario Wonder, uh, the best strand type game of the year. Um, so now we're kind of at this weird spot in the year where we were at a spot where we were in games that we've talked about a lot, and now we're starting to get to games where we haven't really talked about so much. And one game we haven't really talked about at all that I don't really fully understand, but is, is quite a hit, is Lethal Company. That's October 23rd. You don't understand it. What is that? What do you what do you, what do you think the game is based on uh, based on um, what you? What I, you I mean, it's such a massive hit, and from from what I can understand, is it's it's definitely uh, more than the sum of its parts game because it doesn't really look good or interesting whenever I see uh, videos of it. Um, but from what I understand, is that you are going to like I guess like a procedurally generated area or planet to do a mission of like a t- sort of tedious. Um, uh, uh, almost like Among Us style mission, but the thing that makes it interesting is that like it gets more dangerous as it goes or something, and that the, you can be hunted by like creatures or monsters that live there. And also, I think one of the I guess one of the other big things I know about it is that like it's like similar again, similar to almost like Among Us. You have like a a, a near field a proximity com where you can only hear your teammates while you're near them. That's right. Was uh, I right and, about and everything? That leads to a lot of funny moments, but yeah. So the the idea is that you are you have a quota to meet, and you need to go to planets and find scrap, and you bring the scrap onto the ship, and then you deliver the scrap after a certain number of days. And if you don't, you lose, and then you start from the beginning. So it's kind of this run based thing, but the runs can go on pretty long, and the game does a pretty good job about like allowing you to like save and quit. Like pre- you could pretty much save and quit. Uh, uh, after any mission, and and that's pretty good. Uh, but but yeah, it is just like you go there. The, there are a couple of different planets. The game is way early access. Like it, it's still very very early. It's a game developed by one one guy. Uh, so you go to these planets. Uh, there are only a couple of interiors right now, but I think that there's like eight uh, outside, like um, eight exteriors of planets. But once you go inside. Uh, it's relatively safe when you first go in, but the longer you stay in each area, more and more monsters spawn. 
And the monsters uh, all do different things that are pretty interesting. One of them, like the coil head, uh, will only move if you're not looking at him. I think and I've he seen moves this one really, really fast. I, yeah, yeah, I think I've, I, I have seen this one. This is like a SCP. And another one is the Bracken, which tries to creep up on you. And if you look at him, he'll go away for a little while. But if you stare at him, then he'll insta-kill you. And one of them is uh, the Ghost Girl, which is uh, if you see her at any point, you're cursed. And she can follow you out of the area and follow you back to the ship and kill you while you're in the ship. So... There's all of these different unique monsters. Uh, the game is pretty moddable, which is good because it also has host-only host modifications, which means that uh, there's a lot of mods where only the host needs to have the mods in order for you to play them, uh, which has opened things up to new mod, new um, maps, new types of monsters, uh, including a monster that can uh, mimic the voice of your friends. So we'll take a small snippet of something somebody has said and we'll use that to lure you towards them, possibly, or to make you think it's them. But but yeah, so so it really is just that like it is such a simple premise, uh, but you're pretty much just picking up items and delivering them. But but it's funny because like the proximity chat leads to some situations where you will like enter into the place. You'll be like, hey, is anybody here? You don't actually know. Uh, where your teammates are because there's no like mini map unless you're on the ship uh, and you could just like hear them screaming in the distance if they're getting like chased by someone uh, you could use a walkie talkie if you want but then you're taking up inventory slots which is pretty precious because you only get uh, four inventory slots so I've heard some people say like that this is like a twitch bait game that it's like a game that exists solely for people to like freak out on twitch and get views and I understand that, like, opinion on it. But at the same time, I, I do kind of dig this game. It's, it has led to some really, really funny moments so far for me. One of my favorites is that there's an item in the game, which is a mask. And it's a pretty new item. I wasn't sure what it did. But I put on the mask. Well, like, I wore the mask when I was on the ship. And I, I was telling my friends that I was playing with. I was like, I don't actually know what this does, but I can't currently change any of my, like, I can't take it off. I can't switch items in my inventory. And as soon as we landed on the planet, I lost control of my character and they just, it's just started attacking my friends, which was really kind of, kind of fun. And, and like the kind of thing that I feel like can't happen in a lot of other games, but was just like really funny in this one. It, it just has like a, a good vibe and it is such a strong start. Like this game, the foundation of it is so solid that it's exciting to see what this developer can do with, with um, the money they get. It, it really does remind me of early Phasmophobia where it was like a single person who had this really good idea with a really good foundation and as time went on, it was able to just keep getting better and better. And I feel like this is uh, the next one of those. This is like the 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 true successor to like a phasmophobia where it's like this fun, goofy thing that you can do with your friends uh, that I'm digging. Hell yeah. Makes sense. It makes sense yeah. now. Yeah, it, it, it's I, I do think that it's like 
it's kind of hard initially to understand. Um, so how about October 27th, uh, the spookiest month for the spookiest game, Alan Wake 2, Reloaded, Wait, more woke. Alan Wake the Wokest. Alan, uh, Alan has woken. So it's been 13 years since uh, the original Alan Wake, and this game takes place 13 years after it. Uh, Alan Wake 2 is a survival horror game. Uh, it has all the trappings of your survival horror with the bullet conservation, the suspense of not knowing when enemies are going to show up. Safe rooms? Um, what? Safe rooms? Save rooms. Yep, the safe rooms are where there's coffee. So you grab coffee and that's the save. Uh, oh, yeah. And the heaviest Twin Peaks slash Stephen King vibes you can get out of any game. Some of the funniest moments, the scariest moments, like... So, like this is a, a game that is like full of hot moments. Uh, I, I think that everybody who's played Alan Wake can agree uh, that it has some of the best moments of the year. There are some truly incredible standout sequences of the game. And to be honest, the gameplay is pretty sharp too, which I was expecting that to be uh, the worst part of the game would be the gameplay. But I thought that it was altogether just solid and and good so far i haven't beat it yet but it's not on my pile of shame because i am still in the middle of playing it i've been playing it uh with friend of the show kevin cruz so every so often we'll hop on uh discord and we'll just go through yeah if some, any game is uh, if any game is prepped and ready to be my game of the year for next year is uh it is alan wake 2 probably i like, i do hope you play it because wowza it is it is great the sure, i like, I, yeah, I like so horror good. stuff i've been going through some good horror stuff recently i i've been in i've had a good horror revival this year i've been watching a lot of horror things a lot of horror media you're in your horror arc i'm in my horror arc but i but i have actually for a long time really liked <clears throat> horror video games weirdly enough despite the fact that i i yeah i don't usually like that kind of stuff but um horror video games i've liked uh, uh resident evil for a long time silent hill um uh and i i played the original alan wake uh you gotta check out alan wake too then i know w- w- wake year and woke year um, i it, i mean it's interesting right like i wasn't expecting the um competition at the game awards to be baldur's gate 3 and alan wake 2 like I, if you asked me at the start of the year, like, what do you think are the games that are going to be at the game awards that are going to win things? Diablo. I would be so fucking wrong. Yeah. yeah I would oh be so wrong. I, I feel like I would have, I mean, looking at our list, I would have said Hogwarts legacy. I would have said Zelda. I would Zelda, have said Zelda. Um, uh, Diablo. Um, Final fantasy 16. Final fantasy 16. Yeah. Um, for sure. Pretty weird that like, the the real games that kind of came out of this year that are super big like i still i still can't get over baldur's gate 3 having mainstream appeal because that game that game has no right to have mainstream appeal it's just such a such a too complicated for normies it it, well i think i just think that it it doesn't um it, it it like insists upon itself like it doesn't it doesn't make um uh concessions the way that like you think that a lot of the which maybe if anything says that a lot of the more popular games that you, you that uh, uh, developers think they have to make all these concessions, um, like like how about like 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 Diablo? How about that? How about where where it feels like tons of concessions were made to just like we're afraid of people making 
bad choices with their build like they do in Path of Exile. So we made the respecking easy and we made the builds really boring and obvious so that you'll never make a mistake and that you and that like the normie will look at the guilt the build tree and be like, wait, this says bleed and this also says bleed and they're both red. I'm figuring it out. But um then you have a game like the like uh, Baldur's Gate three, which kind of respects the players time and intelligence right and the fact that like it's popular uh in a more mainstream way uh is really weird to me because it, it really shouldn't be but we got that and we got alan wake and alan wake is also uh i read an interview with sam lake and sam lake said that um he was worried about alan wake 2 until he saw the critical acclaim for everything everywhere all at once yeah because he said that that's when he knew that people were okay with something being really weird and and, and, and fringe like, yeah. and you you know what's weird is is the especially I I watched everything everywhere all at once today this morning actually and I liked it a lot uh, but the way you describe Alan Wake and for what I've heard about Alan Wake considering some of the weird things like oh it, it's a follow up to a game that released 13 years ago or whatever and it takes place 13 <laughs> years later and it takes place in control and it's like kind of aware that it's a video game and stuff it's very like i was actually having that exact thought of like this is this is like kind of everything everywhere all at once a little bit of like being so like having part of the real world play a, a role in the game world um and like real world time and the game being aware that it's a game. But um, uh, November 2nd. What your, happened then? Your time at Sandrock. My time. My time at, at Sandrock. Sandrock. What a darling yeah, little game. You did talk about this a what little a bit. What a sweet this, little this game. Is that, uh, this is that uh, kind of city or like town town living. Uh, it's a sim game. Sim. It's like a, like a life sim game. Yeah, life like sim. A, like a harvest moon. Yeah. Uh, so it's like that, but you are not a farmer. You are a builder. Uh, and I, I dig the aesthetic of this game. Well, specifically, let, let me let me uh, rewind that. I think that the characters and the, some of the style in this game is questionable, but I love the um, the setting of this game because the game is set in a desert town where water is very sparse and and maybe i did i bring this up on the last podcast maybe i don't know the last podcast was about a year ago so but you're you're developing uh you're you're a new builder to this town that's very sparse on water so your ability to get trees and lumber is challenged uh so you're primarily like mining and dungeon delving and like interacting with townsfolk the game also has like a pretty thorough single player story and it's like 70 hours long or some crazy shit. But this is also the kind of game where like I'm not so worried about the length of it because it feels like the kind of game that you could like slowly chip away on like the same way that you would with like crocheting a blanket or something like that, where it's like this is like very low impact. I could like play a little bit here, put it down pick it up again without it like feeling like it's like a great weight to do so uh and it and it plays pretty well like it's you always feel like you're constantly being rewarded at every day like the the archetypes of characters that it has is pretty fun it has like this um uh it's like bandit group of people that are like kind of like we shouldn't be conserving water we should be like uh 
like taking water from nearby areas and like it, it, it has this weird sort of like vibe to it of like uh what what life is worth living in a way i don't know yeah. it's kind of it, it's kind of neat in that way i i like the world i like that it's like this cozy game but it's taking place in like this kind of challenging world that like is in the middle of all of these wars and you're just like trying to eke out like what you can in this uh like desert town that like still has like it, it's weird because it is like both at times cozy but like in not so nice a world they managed to make it cozy uh but i do dig it yeah and i think that like the gameplay is varied enough with like different mini games like a ton of characters i think that there's like 21 romanceable characters and that's not even factoring in all of the other npcs who you're just like friendshipping with and like uh leveling up that way and they all have their own missions and things like that so the game just feels very um dense and very uh yeah it, it feels very feature complete it's a game that's been in early access for a while and just kind of completed it and it's it's pretty good it has you know what it has in some cases it has this aesthetic of like a mobile game not, not like, like a login, like do, a a little, do your dailies, and then be done? Or? Not like a gotcha game, but it has the aesthetic. Like, if you look at some screenshots, you'll be like, you know, this kind of looks like a schlocky mobile game. But it yeah. is very good. Um, what is this game, RoboQuest, November 7th? I, I don't think so, I've heard of this. So RoboQuest is a game I put on because it's one that I plan to play. But it is sort of a... It's, it's essentially Gunfire Reborn. Uh, but it leans a little more on like a Borderlands sort of style and aesthetic where it's not like fantastical. It's more like sci-fi and it's not like four player co-op. There's like, it's either one player, single player or like a two player co-op. Uh, but it's something that I mean to get to because a lot of people say like, yeah, if you like gunfire also check out this one. Uh, but this one is more of a movement shooter. Uh, than that, some people have also said, like, I've replaced doing aim labs with doing RoboQuest because, in addition to being a really good way of training aim, it's also just fun. So, yeah. I think that RoboQuest is worth checking out. It's a relatively new game, just recently 1.0, you know, class based roguelite similar to uh, Gunfire Reborn. Oh, all right. Actually, this looks really good. And this actually looks uh, right up my alley. Wow. Cool. Yeah, so we could check it out. It's and and it has um, Counter Strike uh, and Valorant style like uh, movement penalty. And is that why? Why? Why do people use it as a aim trainer? Uh, I don't. I don't exactly know. It's just what I've read. Okay. Yeah, it just looks like it's a a shooting. It like it looks nice though. It's it's got a good look to it. What have we got here? The Risk of Rain Returns. Now, this one you did talk a about a little bit. This was a this is a true remake of Risk of Rain, but I think we ended up thinking that, you know, it's good, but it just makes you want to play Risk of Rain 2. Yeah, I think Risk of Rain 2 is still the better game, but it is this is kind of like a fun uh, detour from that. And it has some cool modes in its own right. I, I talked about this recently, so I won't get too much into it. But like the prismatic trial mode that you're... Uh, doing to unlock uh, different abilities uh, for different characters along with different skins uh, where you're kind of doing like this mission mode and there's like dozens of them. That's there's dozens cool of us. This game is still... 
It's still a mo- it's still a game worth playing. They should Robo make Quest. a sequel I'm, to this game. I'm looking at RoboQuest gameplay. I'm getting this game tonight. This looks so they, cool. They should make a sequel to this here Risk of Rain. Yeah, what would they call it? Risk of Rain Returns 2. Or how about Risk of Rain 2 Returns? Okay. All right. Now, it would be Risk of Rain 2 Returns. They should really try and do something different with it. Um, because the first Risk of Rain um, is uh 2d right so what it you know it'd be kind of cool if they mix it up and made it a 3d version of risk of rain you like that uh yeah but we'll never get that um what else you got so since we will never get that i'll tell you about a game that 1.0 astral ascent um you'll tell me about adding to our our big long list of of uh uh roguelites i feel like the re you know i'm thinking about it why are are there so many roguelites this year i think it's just because they're the easiest to like play because we don't play the other ones and say something about though because because like let's say there there's like single player-y kind of games where uh you feel like you can't say much or like weigh in on it a lot until you've put in some time or maybe finished it. But with roguelites, you can do a couple of runs and then have, like, a good, nice opinion of it. But anyway, um, Astral Ascent is a roguelite that I near and dear to my heart that I love, that I I talked about kind of earlier on this year when it was um, pre-1.0, but at 1.0 on November 14th. Um, And I did recently talk about this also on the podcast, so I don't want to belabor the point. I think it was just sad because the 1.0 was cleaning up a lot of the things and a lot of the modes or texts or things in the game where you would just hit a brick wall and it would say, like, this is an early access game, we don't have this yet. So they cleaned up that kind of stuff, but it wasn't, like, a super sexy kind of patch where you where I could say, oh, they added a new character. Because that's this is a 2D character-driven roguelite. It is very rogue... It, it, is, it is the traditional style of roguelite where you're going from... Uh, room to room, you're deciding the next room. The type of challenge the room uh, offers will, you know, offer a specific type of reward. But what makes Astral Ascent so special and why I like it so much is because I don't even, I don't, I think that for my money, it is the best playing roguelite there is. It, it is like the once you get good at it, it, like the movement almost reminds me of like Dust Force or something where you are so insanely hyper mobile with so many options and it's so crazy that it's just like you feel so so powerful and the characters, their abilities are so cool and unique and every run is so incredibly uh, unique. And this game, uh, we talk, we've been talking so much about roguelites. So uh, that thing we were talking about earlier where uh, the, the runs feel different, there's synergies that different uh, uh, you know abilities or passives and everything plays into it. Um, this game has that in spades all the time, nonstop, um, constantly doing that. Uh, usually per run, you don't even have just like one kind of thing of like oh i'm going a poison build you're doing like ice poison movement or like ice poison Surpri- and orb. ice like, poison movement surprise yeah something like that where it's like you have tons of different like you know uh uh eggs in different baskets uh so so uh, uh yeah I, I i really enjoy astral ascent and uh i look forward to more content for it but i have talked about it a lot december 1st dragon quest monsters the dark prince Yeah, so this game came out to no fanfare, which I think is really disappointing because this is a thing that I I think this is Square Enix, right? They do the Dragon Quest games. They do. So the thing that's annoying is I feel like 
they do this thing where they'll release a game in the West. They'll advertise it none. They won't advertise it at all. And, and they're then, like, why don't people like this? Only yeah, only Japanese like, people like like Dragon Quest. Yeah, so this is like such a bummer because I feel like they did this all the time. So John is so the other day where John and I are playing Granblue and he's like, Hey, did you pick up the new Dragon Quest Monsters? And I was like, No, I didn't know that was out. And he's like, Yeah, it's been out. So this is a Switch exclusive. Which is also annoying because like a lot of other Switch exclusives, it is reminding us that either A, uh, the Switch is too old to handle a lot of games. Oh, yeah. Or more likely B, a lot of companies don't care to optimize for the Switch, which is especially a shame in instances where the Switch is the only place that you could play some of these games. Even playing like Tears of the Kingdom, you have the feeling of like, all right, we really need a new console. You know what's weird? The Switch point. is only six years old. March 3rd, 2017. That doesn't sound right, right? You were in Brooklyn at the time that it launched. Yeah, that was weird. Then. Weird. You live a world apart now. But um, yes, you're right. So Dragon Quest Monsters, the Dark Prince, the is Dark a Prince. direct sequel to Dragon Quest IV. Uh, but you play as... Uh, one of the antagonists of the an older Prince. Dragon Quest games, the Dark Prince, who has been cursed with the inability to harm monsters. You cannot harm people. Oh, what a curse. So, Sounds horrible. What a curse. So in order to deal with this, you need to uh, start taming monsters. So the old Dragon Warrior Monsters games uh, on the Game Boy Color were my absolute favorite games as a kid. So, recently we had a game come out, which was uh, Cyrillim Ultimate, which was essentially, what if Monster Tamer, but Path of Exile level of depth. So, this game is not that. It's, it is much simpler Imagine than a game my surprise. Like, like Cyrillim. Imagine my surprise but, when Dragon Quest Monsters is not like Path of Exile. But it's quite a bit, it's, it's much more complicated than... Uh, than like a Pokemon is. It is a game that is about fusion and breeding monsters uh, and, and moving traits around through monsters so much so that like you're planning out like generations in advance the way that you want to move uh, passives and skills throughout monsters to eventually arrive at what you want. So in that way, uh, it is not the complexity of Serial Ultimate, but it is a more aesthetically pleasing game than Serial and Ultimate while still having like a pretty good amount of complexity. Um, so if you've played a Dragon Quest game before, or even if, I mean, even if you haven't, honestly, you probably know what the aesthetic of Dragon Quest looks like. It is like a pretty distinct style. Um, you've seen the slimes. We've all seen the slimes. Uh, and it's a pretty neat game. I mean, like, for what I've played of it, which isn't much, but there is a free demo out on the Switch if people do want to check it out. Like I said, uh, this is a game that is not blowing me away with its performance, but luckily it's like a it's a turn-based multiplayer game. But I do find it weird that they don't advertise this at all. I feel like it could be a pretty well-liked game if they advertised it or if they would release it on PC at the same time. They, they probably will release this on PC because they released 
um, all of the other ones on PC eventually, but they just shadow drop them. You know, they're just like, yeah, yeah I, I, th- I, I, I totally know what you mean. And that's like a really common thing of if something doesn't do well in, in America organically without any, um, uh, without any uh, marketing push, then Japanese companies assume that Americans don't like it. But if it does do well, then they'll do a marketing push. So like, you know, pop games that are, that have been popular or, or, you know, got popular through like either ground support or, you know, stuff like Final Fantasy or Zelda that are, that are like obviously popular, um, get marketing pushes. But then like Dragon Quest just has never gotten, has never gotten that. Um, and it's, and I think it, I feel like it's that constant story of like, it comes out, uh, to like little or no fanfare. And I, I feel like I, 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 I just hear the interviews with the Japanese devs of like, yeah, it's not popular in America. We, they just, Americans just don't like Dragon Quest. I actually finished Dragon Quest Builders too, but one of my, um, greatest shames is that I never finished Dragon Quest 11, despite the fact that I did really enjoy it. I just fell off. I I would like to get back to it, and I feel like the story is generic enough that it won't matter uh, that I haven't played it in, like, three or four years. One of the greatest James is December 7th, the finals. People, this game is picking up steam for true this game really this game more and more okay every every day the numbers on this game are going up i didn't start playing it because i thought you know what this game is going to quietly die like all of the other multiplayer games i will also say uh some some positives so the finals is tell me what it is it's a free to play combat centered game show fight alongside your teammates in a virtual arena x x dice employees uh, where it is heavy on the destruction and it is very low on seriousness. Where it is just like this is a this is a, a weird fucking amalgamation of game show esport with like somehow both like a very generic aesthetic, but also really kind of an original aesthetic. an original aesthetic in the fact that it's like trying to mishmash all of these things and be like, this game looks like the vi- like a video game but it really looks like a video game you know yeah but it has all of these like moments of like uh because the destruction is so heavy you start out this map and you're like on this like massive skyscraper with these different like bridges that are taking you across but throughout the game like the bridges are getting like blown up and collapsing or you're like trying to steal an item from an enemy team uh but they've fortified the primary entrance so you like grab a bunch of c4 and like burst through the wall and take their shit and there's just something about that that gets me and the the game is really well optimized and uh despite how you might feel about the aesthetics it is inarguably impressive with the lighting tech and the destruction it it, it does look it looks like you just said it is it is quite generic looking but it is nice it doesn't it doesn't it looks realistic good, um, but it has no theme. It doesn't have, like, a super I, discernible I mean, I, I am very theme. partial to killing someone and they explode in coins. I I do dig that. The, the very Scott Pilgrim thing of, like, you kill someone and you don't, like, see their corpse. They just, like, turn into coins. That's fine with me. Yeah. 
Uh, so I do mean to play this. Actually, I'm I'm probably gonna uh, be checking this out later tonight. Um, but I am interested in the finals, cool. and I feel like it's a game that uh, you know, if it keeps, no. if it really does have a, a life, then it you know, it's not. There's no real rush. People seem like they like it enough that they might be playing it next year as well. Sure. Also, and it is so rare that like a new uh, multiplayer shooter comes out that people actually care Wanna about play. Yeah. for more than a month. Yes, it's really it is hard because it's a it's an increasingly it we're we're well past the point where Valorant has any chance. I think of doing poorly. It's like actually picked up steam since uh, its release and uh, is doing well. And then Counter Strike is an unstoppable juggernaut, especially considering that counter-strike 2 came out and there's nothing different or unique about it yeah so, and everybody else you we have our our like um escape from tarkov and our uh what is it apex uh, well, legends uh, there's a game called fortnite uh it's not like super popular but it is like a shooting isn't game Bun- isn't bungie making an extraction shooter next year i don't know that could uh, be kind of fun yeah bungie should do anything i could get down on that um and our final oh my god after eight hours of podcasting our final game and probably requiring a lot of explanation is uh december 14th grand blue fantasy versus rising this is a fighting game i i do want to quickly lay out um the history of this so grand blue fantasy versus is a weird as fuck game that should never have come out because uh it is based it is a gotcha game originally um, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy. It's based on Grand Blue Fantasy, uh, which is a gotcha game um, that never had like a real official uh, launch anywhere outside of Japan. So there is like a localized version of it you can play on, I think, like a browser. But there isn't. If you go to your iOS or your um, uh, uh, Android marketplace, uh, you won't see Grand Blue Fantasy um, there. It, it's like something. It's one of the more original early gotchas and it was like a browser based gotcha so uh it's really weird because like we're it's it's been doing so well in japan for so long that it's getting games like this and there's a grand blue open world rpg coming out um uh uh globally uh soon it looks really good relink or something right yeah it looks really nice it's like a really good looking uh grand blue but and this game this fighting game has kind of gotten me interested in the characters of grand blue yeah Uh, they they are uh quite unique and you could see just playing by playing the grand blue fighting game why people would be invested in this world or these characters but um uh, so so yeah, you have this game, this this gotcha game from Japan that is not localized, uh, truly, and doesn't have like a global launch, and it's not on iOS or anything like that. Um, but it has been going on for so long, for like a decade or so, I think, to the point where it's starting to get these spin-off games in this universe. So it's got Grand Blue Rise, uh, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus came out. Um, uh, it, it came out of all times. I think it came out twenty late twenty nineteen. I'm saying that just from memory, and I'm almost 100% sure that I'm right. And the reason why I'm sure I'm right is because uh, uh, it came out late 2019, I think, and it had no rollback netcode, and the netcode was horrible. It just was de- play it, it locally. Was, it was delay-based right? netcode, and it was terrible. And early on, for the first month that it was out, there it, it was it was doing well in locals, and people were really interested in it. 
then something happened. Um, uh, if you may remember 2020 being a year, the year where, um, there the was, inside, the inside year. The, that was, uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the year, the the year, the COVID year. So, Grand Blue comes out, bad net code, um, and it's based on a franchise that hasn't had a global launch from Arxis, a great you know fighting game company. But it comes out right in front of the pandemic, so it completely died off did terrible um uh like no one could really play this game because you couldn't play locals and even when games the old fighting games used to a lot of fighting games used to have bad uh net code but it was fine i mean it wasn't fine but i guess like the excuse was like well um the uh the people are playing locals so like the game is still alive and fun and and you can still watch like tournaments but like tournaments died and there was no nothing but online so grand blue you know, just petered out. And then they did like a two seasons or so of DLC. Um, the other, another one of the, pro, another initial problem with Grand Blue was it was a really, really small starting cast. I want to say it was like 11 characters. It was a really, really tiny starting cast. And a lot of the starting cast characters are a little bit closer to that generic Shoto character. I think like the starting cast characters are like Gran and. Um, and blue uh, and yes grand and blue and percival and sh- so like the you know it didn't have a lot going for it unfortunately um then there was a rollback up so then they they followed it along this line which is like the current um uh uh thing that that fighting game companies do which is like you know the first blush wasn't good but uh they come out with two seasons of dlc and then rework the game and then add the the rollback so i think that that uh uh uh, the friend of the show Galloway and I were playing when they had added rollback prior to the launch of Rising, and I I really loved it. I actually it was one of my more favorite fighting games that I've ever played. Um, and one and the reason why I liked it so much is because the original Grand Blue uh, versus was like kind of the perfect marriage of anime and Street Fighter because it it was an extremely slow old person's game. It was like watching old Grand Blue content. It's mostly just like people whiffing buttons in neutral, trying to get like whiff punishes or counter hits. And it's very slow and it's very um, positional and footsie based. Uh, So now grand blue rising comes out uh uh and and i I really like when they do this kind of stuff because uh original grand blue small really small starting cast uh delayed 12 or 11 or something yeah 12 or 11 delay based net code the pandemic happens now uh grand blue rising comes along they they get to add new thing new mechanics of it the biggest new mechanic of it being ultimate attacks which i'll talk about in a second but um uh they get to uh, re-release the game with rollback net code with a massive roster that they've accumulated, uh, accumulated, and th- there's been balance patches and everything, and there's new uh, mechanics. So it's kind of like this awesome thing that is like it's it's such a quadruple, triple, double, quadruple whammy of having all this kind of things happen at once. Of like you, the the first Grand Blue was just a practice for what this is kind of. So so is it good? Overall, yes. You were I, waiting for this for a while, right? I was like waiting for this were, for, for a while. You were really excited for this. This I, was a big anticipator for you. Yes, and it was because, and it's sad. It like, like so, 
There's a lot of really cool things about it. It is such a yeah, there it is. is. It is such a good looking, gorgeous fighting game, and it's very cool. Um, it's absolutely it, gorgeous. It is, and one of the, the one of the things that I really like about it is that it is uh, following along the trend of the very uh, system heavy types of games. Um, She's stunning. Yes, it's it's very it's very system heavy in the way that like there's a dodge roll and a count and a, and a spot dodge where you can dodge in place. Um, and, and a big old armor break move. Bam. Yeah. Our, an armor break move. That's new. Um, uh, uh, okay. And then, uh, and then before we get into the, the, the new things, I think one of the coolest things that, uh, one of the more unique things other than the, the, the way I described before, where it was very slow and kind of street fighter and footsie based is that the, the, you have a light version of a move, a medium version of a move, and the heavy version of the move is the EX version, but that will put the move on cooldown. So you, at any point in time from the very first uh, second of the match, have your access to your entire kit, pretty much, where you have your all of your EX abilities. Um, and you can use them at any point in time, but you put them on a cooldown. So it is like a, it causes like a very immediate this this is like such a cool mechanic right off the bat right because when you think of stuff like how ex works in a lot of other fighting games um maybe you're having like a fireball war or something and then you use that 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 ex move to uh beat their fireball knock them down and then maybe either like gain an advantage in the fireball war or close the gap uh so you always have access to that but it's like but it's like a powerful because it puts it on cooldown you completely lose access to the ability at all so you use your EX projectile, maybe you do get some more ground, but now you don't have it at all. You don't even have the light and medium versions of it. You have no projectile for the next 10 seconds, um, which is just a really cool, unique mechanic. I don't think there's any other fighting game that like gives you access to it, and the, the resource for it is not a like you know meter that you're gaining. It's just uh, you have it, but by using the more powerful version of it, you lose it. Um, yeah, for just a bit. Yeah, just for for a bit. Um, but for this new game, there is Ultimates. Um, that is or a new... E- yeah, and they're kind of like juiced up EX moves. Yeah, but they usually... In a lot of cases, they can do something that is like completely different than the original version of the move. In like some really cool cases, it's like a completely new move. Tell um, me about that. Um, I mean, for one of them, one of my favorite characters is Eustace. Um, so his ultimate versions of moves is that Eustace has no real invincibility frames. He has he really suffers from uh, from being rushed down. But the ultimate version of his stance, his stance dash, is just a straight up DP. So that's something. But that's a little bit bo- more boring. How the, something that maybe is a little bit more interesting is that Eustace has a bomb. The light version of the bomb uh, bounces the second it makes contact with anything. It explodes. The medium version bounces once and then explodes on the second impact. The heavy version of it. Um, can attach as a sticky to enemies and it blows up when Eustace shoots it or uses one of his abilities on it. Um, And it can be used to either threaten the enemy or uh, make a a positive block stun situation or do an increased, a a new combo. But the EX version of the skill uh, throws a like constantly bouncing bomb that just keeps bouncing. So he can kind of throw it out and then pressure behind it. Um, I'm trying to think of like some of the other like so pretty more... so pretty unique stuff though. Yeah, like I'm trying to think of some other crazier uh, uh, Percival, a character I like a lot. Uh, he has uh, one of the, uh, he has a really good example of this where he he has a projectile, and the ultimate version of his projectile where it hits it creates a flame carpet. 
Um, which is really cool because then you're thinking about like you, if you get your enemy in the corner, you can hit them with an EX. We can hit them with the ultimate version of the projectile, lay down a flame carpet, and now they're forced to make a move. They have to get out of the flame carpet right now because they're taking damage just by sitting in there blocking. And you are you can just sit there defensively and maybe like throw out some like kind of pokes, but just kind of see what they're gonna do. Are they gonna try and jump out? Then you can anti-air them. Are they gonna try and DP? Then you can punish it. So like stuff like that I think is is like very cool and unique and then works completely differently. I don't know if you have any good examples of these. Um uh, some care like it like in some of the cases in some of the best cases these um uh well yeah i mean moves. like lowane has an ability where like he has his companions run out and do an attack but the ultimate version is his uh his friends turn into a giant flaming cartwheel that absorb and defeat all projectiles as it runs across the screen like a massive fireball yeah, there's some really cool creative ultimates, um, and it's just a cool thing because it really would throw the entire concept of these characters out of whack, right? Because so yeah, and it makes this game like one of the more anime games that I've played because you have access to such crazy shit all the time, where you are con- like you build meter so fast. Uh, that it really feels like you're constantly popping off with big moves. Yeah, it is very... Um, it almost reminds me of a good version of DNF at this point in time. It does. Where, yeah, it does. Where, uh, I mean, the mechanics in this game are, are better than DNF. Yeah, but yes. I, I, it's not like... It's not necessary. I don't I mean it like DNF, like you're sitting in the corner yeah, and yeah, then yeah. getting hit by like an 80, you know, block string that breaks your guard. But but uh, the, the promise of DNF was that uh, you would combo using flashy abilities that um i i think that like the 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 elevator pitch for dnf was was um what if like like everyone's favorite you know how about street fighter but everyone's favorite things the most iconic parts of ryu's kit are is the projectile it's hurricane kick it's dragon punch how about a fighting game where like that is what you do like you're like you do like your moves are your your combos are all these flashy abilities chaining into each other and like that is the yeah. thing but it, but in this game um what we're what we are kind of saying is that like not only do you have access to your ex abilities at all point in time that are these flashy wild abilities that put themselves on cooldown but you have access to ultimate abilities which are like a flashy mm-hmm. version of the move that requires meter um so like you have that you have you do gain meter quickly um most of the ultimates are crazy cinematics and they're also pretty safe to throw out in a lot of cases so like the game is pretty anime um uh which is kind of like good and bad uh it's because it's, i love it you, you know i love an anime fighting game yeah it is a, it's i mean like wh- it, it, wh- where my problem comes in and it's like it's not necessarily a problem because anyone is allowed to like this game it's just that it went in a different direction from what i what made me originally this like. isn't my grand blue fantasy yeah, this isn't versus... my grand blue fantasy right because this is my b- grand blue before fantasy. what i was saying is like uh uh, uh galloway uh, called Grand Blue the 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 oldest man fighting game ever. Like it, it was f- from all the fighting games that released in the last decade. This is this was that was the slowest. It was it really was you know just sitting there whiff- whiffing buttons and and buffering. Um, I and, don't like that. Um, and I also want to say that like 
uh, uh, you used to not, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if this is true, but I think there was no air blocking and stuff like that. So the game was like very slow, very grounded. Jumping was really bad and really stupid. And it was just like, you know, it's just a lot of like low pokes and trying to uh, uh, shimmy and like vie for space. And uh, I really like that. But um, this, this, this new version of it takes it in a huge different, in a completely different direction where it's much more anime, not only because of the ultimate skills, but also because of maybe the mechanic that isn't so great whether or not you know um is that there's running running abilities um and that that is like it seems like a i mean weird... that's that's fine the problem is that the running ability is uh plus which essentially means that if you run and attack somebody um and and it hits they block it they block it you are in uh, your turn you yeah. you won that transaction by running in at them which means Even that like the complete really. way the way that this game looks now at like a pro level it's not what i said before grand blue rising versus it's not people whiffing buttons it's not footsies it's running 6a it's it, it is it is i want to get this person in block stun and i want to start doing a crazy um uh, 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 complete like uh, uh, rushdown where I just have all these plus frames. So the game is like it's very fast. It's very in your face. You are there's very little time where you're like actually spacing. It's more like he's attacking me and I'm waiting for my turn and now it's my turn and I want to attack him. Mm -hmm. So like everyone's in their face. Um, it does have a very the corner is very scary in this game. So oh, there yeah. is there is, is some element of like spacing and like it certainly feels bad to be in the corner, but for overall, this is a very like anime neutral skip fighting game. I think another thing that people who are like you know old granted Grand Blue Fantasy versus heads would say is that a lot of the ultimate abilities that characters got, they got at least like one neutral skip along with the fact that the running abilities are so good. So like, and the, the neutral skipping with ultimates is fine. I'll, that's fine. I mean, it, it does it does require meter. meter, right? So like, it, I guess like it makes a little bit more sense. I think that the I think for sure like I would agree with you more that like the neutral skipping with the 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 ultimate requires meter, and and in that case, it's a little bit more balanceable. But the problem with the neutral skipping with the running is that um, the the buttons in the game were designed for this footsies based slow whiffy kind of combat. So so when you look at a lot of the like the heavy buttons in the game they're they're really slow but they take up a lot of space and that would be fine if there wasn't like these running moves but because of the running moves it makes most of the uh normals in the game kind of too dangerous to slow to throw out so a lot of the uh like abilities a lot of the slower like zoning or poking um, is a little bit out the window right now because you're so afraid of just someone running up dash uh dash 6a 66a and now they're immediately in your face they have plus frames and you're not where you want to be so like yeah the game is a lot of a lot of that a lot of back and forth like i'm gonna 66a you i'm gonna start my block string offense but um uh i i i like this game yeah and we don't have to we, and we don't have to get too much deeper into it because we're gonna go back we're I, gonna revisit this game in our categories i will uh, uh i i i do want to say uh a couple th final things on it and one of the things about it that is like oh my god it's chef's kiss is that the online feels Ooh, feels yeah feels silky, and also the the features uh the cosmetics and uh you level up your characters and you're getting unlockables just by like 
playing in a private room with your friends, you're like, oh, I got this new skin for this character because we've been playing together in this room for a while, and that's a that's a nice little feeling. There, I like that. I think for you, just hanging out. I, th- this is something that I cannot like. We we were talking about Mortal Kombat, and one of the things I really don't like about the Mortal Kombat franchise is that when you finish a round in Mortal Kombat, the screen goes black and it says like you know finish him. And then now it's asking for you to either put in the input for fatality or brutality or something. And if you don't want to do that, what we, what you and I would always do is just run up and try and punch the person or just kill the person. So then you have that, you kill them. Then there's a uh, winning animation. Then there's another animation where the screen appears that asks, do you want to replay? And then after that, you go into the fight. And some games have like really done a bad job with this. I mean, I think Tekken 7 was like the absolute worst because... Oh Tekken, man, it was like Tekken 30 7, seconds between no, every match. No, it's worse because Tekken 7 reloads the, the map after afterwards for whatever weird reason um but but in this game in this game when you when you beat someone or when you when you when the, when the round ends uh the 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 round end cinematic starts playing and at the same time like the rematch happens and you can click it so quickly you're into the next game like you can you can just like play the s- sets of this game non-stop you can get in a lot of sets of this game and it like that that kind of stuff it feels small but like the because the way you're supposed to be interacting with fighting games is by you know playing multiple hours sometimes with the same person just like playing the same set and then just like okay i won let's go again i could okay i won let's go again okay i won let's go again um you you stuff like that really adds up and it really matters and and in games like tekken where there's like a load screen or in games like uh mortal Kombat, where there's all these like superfluous weird gaps of the the uh the finish him part, the uh, the having to watch the win animation, waiting for the rematch screen to pop up, the rematch screen, a load screen, that all that stuff adds up. This game is very snappy, is what I mean. Ooh, oh snap! So those are all the games of this year that we cared about. Yeah, nine hours later. All right, we've got podcasts for the next month. Yeah, provided we can put them out. Which we will. All right, so I will... Which, which the viewer knows because the, the viewer. viewer is hearing this, which is at the end of, like, the fourth or fifth episode. Yeah, this is... Oh, well, this... Yeah, this is, like, going to be split eight ways. Um, uh, but next we have our uh, awards, our actual true awards, so... Best moment! I'm joking. All yeah, right. We're not doing it now. All right, James. Thank you for, for a year exhausting thank you for recording